Lee, yeah, I guess you guys haven't met. Mark and I met a long time ago at uh, the like, was that Charlotte? That, was that a Charlotte? Yeah, an SG Charlotte? Charlotte where we top aided. We played in the Swiss. I, I had forgotten that this was the first time we had met because we've transitioned to like, oh, there's Mark, my, my friend at Magic Tournaments that I say hi to and had like forgotten the origin, although I do distinctly remember the match that we played where we met mark outplayed me pretty badly or at least got me pretty badly at the end of like a tough match living end john the living end versus grixis Death, Death shadow i i i remember even the setup like we talked about this a, a couple of minutes ago but i remember the setup for the turn i was very very proud of my play in the entire game because it included like you know he was Death Shadow, paying life for stuff. Um, I like hard cast two fairy macabs and was attacking yep. with them. Yep. And had set up a turn where I would I could beat a stubborn denial because I was casting violent outburst during an attack. And if the living end resolved, I was winning on board by too much to ever lose the game. And if the living end was countered and then the violent outburst resolved, then I was dealing lethal damage. So I was like, like I was so proud of how I set up that turn. And then he stubborn denials the living end. And then he flashes in a snapcaster mage. And I'm like, yep, that'll kill me without realizing that his last land is a fetch land that both I think has no fetchables left. And also if he fetches untapped watery grave would, kill would die. Him. <laughs> yeah. And my brain just like didn't process that part of the equation. I just saw snapcaster mage on the stack, stubborn denial in the graveyard, untapped land in play. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, he had it all. I guess I'm dead. And then <laughs> I, I have definitely heard this story before. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you have? Wow, that's yeah. crazy because it's a story my friends and I discuss very regularly as well. Um, I didn't know it made it to the other side. CCR has told it to me at least twice. And I, 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 I don't know. I just have like a good memory for magic stories in general. Yeah, I remember my exact wording. It was uh, Snapcaster for Stubborn Denial. And, <laughs> and, and then you could, and I knew that I both didn't have a fetch that I couldn't do it, but right. I could play a Snapcaster Mage and target Stubborn Nile, which is what I did. And CCR, that's when you stuck out in my head. I mean, I've definitely, like, that was, um, I don't know. I don't know where the line is. I, I think it was definitely on the right side of the line, but it was close. I remember after the game, like two matches later, and you went to, let's be clear, you got in the finals of that tournament, so it, it did work out well for you. I just got an easily topic. I do so. a bunch of chas in the way it's like an idiot. Yeah, there was, <laughs> yeah, there was, anyway, we won't, we won't talk about the uh, that situation maybe, but uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I remember we passed going to the bathroom maybe two hour, two two rounds later, and you uh, stopped me and you said, hey, Mark, in that game, did you get me? And I was like, yeah, man, I got you. <laughs> And, and I was expecting you to be like, oh, dude, that's like, what? And you were like, dude, that was awesome. And I was like, I agree. But for you to recognize like gamesmanship, even though it, it affected you negatively in that moment, um, I just thought that was a really good mindset to have. And then to see you made the top eight, made the finals. It, to be fair, it is easier to be a good sport about it when you when it are all still works winning. Out yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, no, it was. Before, I don't think you had locked top eight at the time. Right. Maybe, maybe you had, but you definitely haven't made the finals yet. Um, but yeah, thanks for being a good dude. I I try. I do my best. I I try. I try not to get salty at Magic the Gathering because boy, yeah. we play a lot of Magic the Gathering. So it's very yeah, easy to trick yourself into doing. 
Yes. Or more relevantly, you just are coming off of a second place finish at RC Atlanta uh, with Is It Phoenix and very excited locked up a world spot and everything what a weekend yeah what a weekend it's really still hasn't set in 48 hours later i've been playing since betrayers of kamigawa i uh went into a store in myrtle beach south carolina called dueling grounds uh very uh known in that area at least um long since uh passed by but anyway and I was looking for Yu-Gi-Oh cards. My, my friends and I, we were, I think, in 10th grade or something, had started playing Yu-Gi-Oh. And so I go in looking for Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and I see in the case, they were primarily a magic shop, and I see in the case, uh, Higure of the Still Wind. And the ninja guy. The ninja. <laughs> yeah, the, the sweet ninja. So I was like, imme- like, immediately, stop playing Yu-Gi-Oh, don't care about that anymore. <laughs> Start playing magic. Get my friends all into magic. And this is Betrayers. I remember, uh, you know, the the rat precon deck. I went to Target, oh, got yeah. copies of the rat precon deck. That, that had the coolest art because it had Marinar. Marinar, the, the yeah. I just saw a Marinar on my feet a day or two ago. That art is sick. Didn't like, that one have Jite in it? It did. That's the lead, and the the end of the the punchline of the story. I remember opening a pack of Betrayers in the game store, and my buddy was with me, and he's like, "Oh, what'd you get?" And I was like. Ah. I got another Jite. This sucks. Like I have so many of these already. <laughs> and, at, you know, playing for two weeks or whatever, playing against all my friends. And I'm like, how do I keep winning? It was Umasho's Jite. Like that was just beating everyone. Even when you don't know what you're doing, like it doesn't matter. Any of those modes, you're going to do fine. You can't even misread the card like it's so right. often. The case right. and when you're like, starting to play it out, you're like, I, I, I there's got to be somewhere I'm misreading it. Just, no, it just does everything all the time. Like, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's a good one. When you realize for the first time, like, I don't even have to get through with my creature for this thing to work. And and then, yeah, that, that, yeah. that one was a card. Yeah. I had a, a nice game. Very, or it was just an FNM. Again, one of my buddies, we were very new to the game. I was playing like blue green ramp or control or something. Had a bunch of Jitte's. Had res- he was playing like literally 40 counter spell mono blue or something. These were atrocious decks. Had a Jitte that had resolved. And I'm like, oh, I'll just play this Sakura Tribuilder. And, and, and like saying like, oh, you shouldn't counter. This is just a land. Like save your counter spell for my next spell. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. That resolves. Quip it. Go to town. Just go to town. <laughs> what? What a format. Yeah. Sideboard four Jittes. Main deck four Jittes to legend rule other Jittes. That was uh, <laughs> the name of that standard. So, yeah, crazy to, you know, been playing for a long time. A um, couple open top eights and stuff like that. But uh, played a bunch of GPs, really never had any significant results. Um, and this tournament, I, I I really wanted to get the monkey off my back to qualify for Pro Tour. That, that, that was the biggest thing. That was the biggest goal. A bunch of my friends. It was interesting to see. I was, of our group, we, we traveled. Um, we had a little team for a little while called Card Logic. And I was the first on the team to make a top eight in an open. Within probably six months, the other guys on the team all had top eighted the opens as well. After that, they all qualified for Pro Tours. I never did. And it really was like a monkey on the back. And I was telling CCR earlier, like I uh, had had times where I thought maybe I never will. Maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i not good enough. Maybe the luck didn't turn out. Maybe I just didn't prioritize magic. 
highly enough, which I would also counter to say is proper. Like I, I put life and yeah. career and things like that. I try to keep magic in its place from a priorities perspective. Um, but this tournament was in, you know, basically in my backyard. Pioneer is a fine format. I've played it a good bit. I was happy to see the blue red cards were good. I, I just naturally gravitate yeah. towards those style decks. And I said, you know, basically since the EURC, um, this is going to be my focus. I am not thinking about, I did play the RCQ season modern, played scam, got a qualification relatively easily and relatively early. Um, but like not even going to look at modern deck lists, not going to think about legacy, not going to draft the new mm -hmm. armored core comes out. Nope. Not even going to think about it. Like we're playing leagues. We're focusing. We're going to try and wow. maximize this opportunity. That's yeah. exciting though. Now you can play armored core. I know I'm stoked to play armored <laughs> core. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did sneak in a little bit of halo in the, in the downtime, but mm -hmm. it was really a like, okay, work's done. Now work begins again. Now we're playing pioneer like that. That was my life for, you know, two months. Um, shout out to my friends that they joined me a lot on, you know, one-on-one -on -one kind of streams and co-pilots and things like that. That was huge because just hitting leagues over and over again, it, it can get monotonous, you know, boring. Yeah. And it's work. And I was treating it like work. I was documenting my results. I was, you know, analyzing all of that, but to have friends join you and, you know, rib you and, you know, the discussions and, oh, I'm timing out yet again because we spent all this time talking yeah. about the plays. Yeah. That, that was really meaningful. Um, so going in, you know, that was it. I picked Phoenix because I thought I didn't think it was necessarily the very best deck. Although I think after the Canadian RC, I thought, well, it's been good. It's good in this metagame. It's good, better in open deck lists. It's good against responses to sideboard plans, all this. And I thought Phoenix is a deck that if I put in the work, it's going to enable me to get the result that I'm looking for. To be clear, I was not looking for a world's invite, but I'm not <laughs> at all complaining. And so I sort of felt like, wow, I, I really need... I don't know if I need this. I would have survived had this weekend not gone according to plan. But um, I was really after that Pro Tour invite. When I got it, I was like, finally, like I did it. Like that's, it, it was my time. And now I have the complete opposite feeling with Worlds of like, that. there's no way I've gotten to this level. Like I maybe a little late to the party on the Pro Tour, way early for Worlds. Um, but I'm going to really hope to maximize it. I'm going to keep that same mindset of, put in the hours there's no substitute like yeah you can copy a deck list scott oath mcnamara is in our chat huge shout out he he really put in a ton of the work trophy leader insane run on magic online these past few weeks chris as well um i was in both you guys' streams all the time probably annoying the shit out of you with all my chats of like cut this card or do this or whatever anyway dude um, but okay so i i was talking about this this weekend with multiple people shout out to like everybody who came up to me this weekend to say that like the stream helped them in some way or that they just enjoyed watching like i i th that that really helped energize me through the the weekend but i i was talking about this with a few people how like they were asking me like does it feel like a grind is it you know tough to to stream because I, I have been streaming like four days a week and there are days when i have felt like, man, do I really want to stream? Like, I know my next like five hours is going to be streaming. Like, it feels a little bit daunting. But then as soon as the stream starts up and the first like chat rolls in and it's like, yeah, this is what I want to be doing with my time. So very few chat messages are going to annoy me. So don't don't worry about that at all. <laughs> you might be unleashing a monster here. I don't know. But uh... it's just hanging out. I mean, yeah, especially when yeah. you get to watch coverage in between league game or uh challenge games that's all nice. that is yeah. really nice yeah yeah but um yeah it's just honestly still unreal um 
but I hope to, I hope to keep it rolling. I really hope to keep that grind set, you know, of no substitute for hard work. And as I mentioned the whole like monkey on my back pro tour, I really was doing some kind of deep soul searching type stuff leading up to this tournament and saying like, yeah, I never put in the prep. I know, I've seen players that have put in the work. I've never tested a matchup a hundred times. I've never documented my journey. I've never not just played whatever deck one last week without changing card. You know what I mean? Like I have not engaged with it to the level that I think is honestly nearly a requirement. If you want consistent success, anyone can spike a tournament evidence here straight up. But if you want to do well, like you just have to put in the work or you have to be, you know, accept whatever, wherever the results fall when you don't put in the work. And for me, not a savant, they didn't fall where I wanted. And to have validation in process actually working, now I'm just going to have to grapple with like, what if it never works again? And the worst thing you can do is win a magic tournament. And fortunately I didn't actually win, but yeah, uh, this isn't chess <laughs> still. So even, even if you do everything right, you still might come up short, which is something that's just baked into the game. Like I, I did the same thing. Uh, for one of the invitationals I really cared about is I, I did the same little journey you're describing. Like I picked up a deck, just started playing leagues and chronicling exact, like exactly detailed notes. Like I would write them down with my yep. hand. So I yep. would remember what I was writing and like yep. force myself to pay attention to what I'm doing. Uh, did I did work? really badly, really no. badly at that tournament, but it wasn't like there's some stuff to be learned no matter what. Like I was proud of the work I did in it. It's just that I didn't give myself enough time. I picked a deck I was really uncomfortable with, and it just didn't work out for me. But I, yeah, I knew that if I wanted to be serious, it was a good thing to do, basically. And I enjoyed the process, even if I didn't really ever decide to take anything that seriously <laughs> again. <laughs> uh, Mark, since we're on the topic, um. Like before getting into the story of the tournament, like, did you, you know, you did a lot of prep. Did you have a specific schedule or plan or anything like that? Is it like, like, what was your kind of, you know, calendar of, of prep going into it? Yeah, there could have been more discipline. That's for sure. Um, I, I did feel that I put in more work than I ever had, but there could have, I could have done even more. Um, maybe I would have won if I had, you know, knows. <laughs> but, uh, I basically, so earlier this year, I top four at SCG Charlotte with Merktide and fairly similar. I, I'm very much guilty of like playing the last week deck, not changing things, copying a list, copying a sideboard guide, being lazy, honestly, taking the easy way, trying to benefit from someone else's work. And yes, you should be doing that. You should be looking for all the information you can get blah, blah, blah. But again, there is no substitute. So for SCG Charlotte, I didn't bounce around decks. Now I've been playing modern for a long time and it does not take very much for me to want to register the blue red tempo deck. I played a lot of legacy, played a lot of Delver. Like that's definitely my comfort pick. Lee, to your point, most of my pioneer experience up until this, I'd been playing mono green because the cabal says it's the thing and it, it's like so objectively powerful, but like, it's not, it certainly wasn't my comfort. Now I, you know, the combo lines, for example, I'm not a combo player historically, but I said to myself a year ago when Mono Green started picking up, like 
I'm just going to force myself to learn how to use the chain bail and do these things and whatever. And I do think that was good for just development as a player, but it definitely was not like a deck that I was comfortable with, a deck that I like liked, you know, from a like emotional standpoint. Like I very much was playing because I was like, I think this is the best. I need to force myself to do it. Um, and but you know, I wasn't playing two leagues a day with it either. Harsh for a lot of different reasons, different focus areas, wasn't as fun, whatever. Anyway, so for Charlotte, I said, I'm going to pick a deck. It was Murchai. This is maybe two, three weeks out from the tournament. I'm going to play a league or two a day, maybe a little more on weekends. I'm going to look at all the deck lists. I'm going to put together my own variation. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to buck a trend just because you know, whatever, but I'm, I'm not going to just like read the last week's sideboard. I'm going to try and build a sideboard for this weekend, all that. And that, that tournament went really smoothly. There was a, like a grinder on Friday that I was able to five Oh and get two buys. Um, I, I, I think love I was tournaments, by the way, oh, yeah. that they do I, at the I, SCG, the, the grinders, they're so nice. Like I, I've, I've never even played in one cause I've never had the time to, but I enjoy hearing all the stories from it and like building the hype and seeing what's doing well and all that. Yeah, yeah, they're great. And I mean, it doesn't hurt to get into a tournament with buys in the first day either, um, mm -hmm. which was actually hugely relevant because it positioned me to be able to draw into top four. And this was the top 12, the SCG yeah. style top so 12. Right. Basically so, have a buy. It's like a top eight with a buy, essentially, for anyone who doesn't know. Right. And I was able to take a buy. I was able to take an ID. It was a little bit risky, but I was able, I was guaranteed top 12 with the draw. And I was almost I was very likely to get top four with the draw. Whether or not taking that draw on that spot was actually right, I don't know. It worked out. I got top four uh, in seeding um, and then was able to win my top eight match against uh, TJ from Apex. We had a really nice Is It Mirror uh, from, this is I think in March. So he's a great dude. He was my only loss in the Swiss. Doing well there was both a validation of, okay, putting in the work has benefits, which shouldn't be news, but like it's different when you do it and ex you experience it and kind of prove it for yourself. Um, but also like, hey, I can I can cast a consider. I'm not the best in the world at casting a consider or whatever, but like I, I shouldn't be intimidated by a deck with a lot of decisions. I've got a buddy, Jacob, who has basically said, like, if you have a mindset of I'm not good enough to play this deck, you won't that Yeah. Th then you're right and you'll never get there. Right. The the mentality like I did with Green was like I don't like this deck. I don't naturally gravitate, but I'm going to force myself to do it. And I didn't really have any success with green. Um, I, I top aided like a, one of the one Ks at the, the uh, one of the Durham Magic event a couple months ago. Um, so that was like my best performance with mono green. But I played it in two RCs, day two at six three, you know, and just like immediately bomb, like, whatever. Um, so for this event, picking, I knew I was going to pick a deck and practice with it. Uh, that was for sure. I didn't know what deck it was going to be. I started out really in earnest after the EURC. At that point, I, I, I'd gotten my uh, Denver qualification in Modern at that point, so I was put put Modern out of my brain. Can you refresh um, my timetable uh, after the EURC? Did we know the cards in Lost Cards and Vixalon yet? Not yet. Um, okay. So things that had happened, like Picklock Prankster was legal, uh, the otherworldly gaze version of Phoenix. Phoenix really resurged in that tournament. I think mm -hmm. before that, like Phoenix was dead. Honestly, I don't even know that it was. I think people just probably weren't playing it. Um, it it's one of those things where Phoenix like resurged earlier in the year, and everyone was like, 
Yeah, but we're over it now. So we're just yeah. going to go back to monogreen and Rakdos. Essentially. Yeah. And, and that was the mindset. And, you know, when I was in the mindset, of, I'm just going to play mono green because that's what better players than me are saying to do. Again, I think that was laziness. Like I didn't play all the decks and figure it out for myself, you know. Um, so for this tournament, I thought I'm not going to leave that on the table. I've played so many tournaments where I don't know if I like I've played my deck very little. I don't know if it's good. I'm not sure. I'm, I certainly don't have so high level sideboard plans or like like what are they going to sideboard and how am I going to mitigate that? And I do think that that propensity towards like just playing new things is good for long-term success because it exposes you to more ideas and should make you a better player over time, but it does jeopardize your short-term success. Like if you're the Merfolk guy and you just play Merfolk all the time, there's going to be a time where it's good and you're going to know it really well and that's going to be good for you in a specific tournament or whatever, but I don't know that that's the best idea for trying to be good at all formats and all future tournaments whatever. I think it's better to just force yourself to play combo if you don't, you're not comfortable, whatever. So anyway, I knew I was going to pick something, but I didn't know what. And so actually the first deck that really stuck out, one of my buddies, Ryan, um, highlighted this. It was the 80 card Luca Yoria, or uh, Luca Rona mm-hmm. thing. Combo deck. Yeah. Combo that deck. Amalgam. Yeah. Astrati. Nonsense. Yeah, that Astrati played. And I was really impressed by that deck. I was beating a lot of stuff. It's beating Phoenix, beating, um, just felt it was really good. But as I played it more, I thought that's maybe a little inconsistent. I'm not sure if the build is right. Maybe it should be 60 cards. Fast forward, that was not on the table because it was uh, an innocent bystander in the banning of Karn. Karn ban took that deck out with it. I'll jump in and say that that was actually one of the decks I was excited to see develop because I thought it really did have legs. Uh, go, going forward and it was just like kind of hard to figure out and work on and no one really wanted to do it yeah uh, and then card got banned and i was a little sad <laughs> it's a weird deck like we have not seen a kinnon deck be like incredibly good in in a in a format but i mean that card's um i mean it's got mox opal in it so it can and it can turn it mox on amber. Mox, mox amber let's, let's, mox amber yeah right rubbing salt in the old one with mox mox opal um yeah, so played that, but then just basically went through, like, I'm going to play everything. So I uh, played Convoke for a little while, thought that was pretty good. I really did think Warden was going to be a big shot in the arm for the deck. I do think that turned out to be true. I think it was. Yeah. I mean, the problem is everything else. Where the format other, went Other stuff, that. yeah. Yeah, and Amalia obviously was, was a factor there. So I ended up playing pretty much everything except Blue-White Control because I thought Control decks are bad, you know, like control decks are a trap. So I didn't, and I was also concerned personally about my own play speed and that that being, that being an issue. Is probably one of those things that's a self, like self-limiting sort of thing that I I have the same considerations and I I generally am not drawn to blue-white control for a pioneer tournament. Yeah. Yorion blue-white was probably the best deck for this tournament and yeah. deserve due consideration and yeah. and maybe in the future we should be a little more open-minded to that sort of thing yeah I, you know I, I do think it's reasonable i'll, I'll cut in because you're you're right but it's it's reasonable to know your own pace of play and how you're willing to structure like your game and if you're not willing to play at the speed that is required against an unwilling opponent like you can play like up tempo in a lot of different matches, but if your opponent is not willing to meet you there and you can't, you're just not comfortable with that for whatever reason or the other. 
I, I do think it's reasonable to just like sideline blue white as a choice. I I played against Rakdos midrange four times on day one, four times out of ten rounds, and and Rakdos sacrificed one time. So a lot of thoughts these opponents. A lot of my opponents there were a lot of like two minute thought seasons cast against me on the day. All of my opponents were great. I, I enjoyed playing against all of my opponents, but I, because I was playing Phoenix, I could generally just kind of let that slide and not worry about it too much. Like, yeah, the slot season's taken a while. They can take their time and get the right card. And if I'm going to win this game, like once I turn the board around and start killing them, I'll kill them pretty fast. And like this match will end. And I don't love managing my opponent's pace of play. So, so like, yeah, on such a micro scale. And I did like not having, to, not feeling like I had to do that. Yeah. I tend to be the two minute thought Caesar, um, <laughs> which, which is a problem because it's like, it limits your range of decks you can play. But you know, my focus was like, I'm going to prepare for this tournament. I don't know that in a two month period, I can get myself to be a fast enough player to where that's like not a concern. It's certainly something I should work on. The other point, I think it was probably not a good idea for me to just wholesale right off an archetype, particularly looking at it was doing well on Magic Online. Now, mm -hmm. Magic Online, play speed is not a factor. And then the other point, this blue-white deck actually closes very quickly. It's it's not like an old-school Aetherling or what? I guess Aetherling kind of killed quickly too, but you can turn the corner pretty quickly with Wandering Emperor, Giant Shark, whatever. Um, so in hindsight, I do think, I mean, yeah, what deck won the tournament? That was the deck to play. I think Blue-White Yorian, you look at the numbers, you look at just general positioning, you look at the list that that team put together. It was a big mistake to just never play a match with Blue-White in two months, and I played everything else. Um, I played a good bit of Grease Fang, uh, and in my notes of all my performance, you know, I basically would write, I didn't go super, super in-depth because, you know, but, but I wanted to keep a log. I wanted to hold myself accountable. I wanted to think about card interactions, deck lists, evolution of my own mindset, whatever. So anyway, one, it was usually like deck, record, key interactions, beat this deck, this card was important, whatever. One of my notes is, uh, you know, Abzan Grease Fang, zero five, never again, period. <laughs> and I think the deck had like a 39% win rate. So happy that I found that before registering it in a tournament and be like, oh, this deck is atrocious. I actually registered it in um, one of the Sunday challenges and got 2-0. I got lost my first match incredibly, joined a league, got stomped there. Second round of the challenge, got stomped again. And that was also the same day that Geostorm started breaking out. So that's when I was like, oh. I'm ahead of the curve for like the first time in my Magic career. I think I played 25 matches the first day that G I, I switched back to Mono Green after the horrible performance of Grease Fang. Mm -hmm. Paired into Doomwake. Doomwake slaughters me with this Geo deck. And so I like stop the league with Mono Green, go to Doomwake stream, screenshot it, rebuild the deck, because no list had even been published. This was right after the Saturday event where there was the uh, Quintorious version and the Geo version in the finals. Um, and I think I played twenty. Not update the page yet? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. That's so why I like played twenty five matches, and you know, card availability. I'm sure will be part of the this major part of the discourse this week. Probably something we'll cover. And I was like, well, I have to get the cards for this deck because it's so so busted. And I'm not the type of player that's going to show up looking for, you know, sixty yeah. cards in my seventy five. 
let me reach behind me to my shelf where I have geological appraisers and glass pool mimics and uh, trumpeting carnosaurs yeah. in, a, in a pile right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, pile, I think. this is my standard pile. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, God damn it. <laughs> it's, you got to have them. I, uh, my trumpeting carnosaurs actually just came in today. Uh, There's a Contorius can I found. There you go. There you go. You're <laughs> That's ready. That's still legal. That's still legal. Um, and I did actually I'm think ready. that deck would be a little better, but I, I didn't didn't pan out too vulnerable to spike field hazard is the main issue um so obviously like it became very clear after like the second day i'd already ordered all the cards but i was like this deck is not sticking around it's way too good the japanese and canadian rcs happened geo gets banned um there was actually a point where i was like well they didn't actually ban quintorius and in that first magic online tournament quintorius is the deck that won so maybe you know Maybe, maybe I should have given that some more time. Um, well, I, I'll i toot my own horn, but from the like very first time we got those two results, it was like very clear to me that the four mana card was a way lot better. better than the five mana one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't buy any of the Quintorius cards because I was like, why would I pay five when I can pay four? Um, yeah, so it was, it was very much like Geo very quickly became known. Banned. And yet, and yet, people still advocate for pieces of the puzzle. What do you mean? Why pay? I'm I'm saying why pay three when I can pay mana two. Oh oh yeah 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 oh yeah on the mana yes 100 percent and I was on the fence about that too because some really good players were saying you'd be crazy to not play pieces but I instead of just doing what the better players or my perception of better players said to do I fired up a couple leagues I five owed with a pieces list but I just said I've played both a lot and I asked Chris and I asked Scott and I like. And I said, look, I think these players know what they're doing as well. They played it. I mean, how can you argue with Scott? He's played how many matches with this deck like, and winning a ton with it also. Um, so I, I was like, I'm not going to just listen to like, a player that's not even playing in this event saying, oh, pieces is so much better. You're crazy to not play it. I'm going to follow my you know, own gut a little bit more and, and consult with other players. So pretty much when Geo got banned, I, I realized like I just have to pick a deck at this point. Because if I if I keep waffling and play a deck and like I'm not going to do the thing that had given me success earlier in the year and that I told myself I told my friends like, I'm going to do this I'm going to lock a deck and my goal was so clearly qualify for the Pro Tour that's it and I thought Phoenix just gave me a would give any player that was willing to put in the work a good shot um, at getting there I was doing kind of some of the math of like okay you know there's 32 invites there's going to be x players like about you know between one and two percent of players get an invite from this tournament roughly and in the week leading up to the tournament i thought to myself have i done more work for this tournament than am i in the top one to two percent of the players in terms of work done for this tournament and I, for the first time in my life, I was able to say to myself straight-faced, yes, I think I was. I think I did do more work than 98% of the rest of the field. Um, I don't know if it's true, but it did work. And <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's big. And so for, yeah, the, basically the past two weeks, I was knew, knew I was going to play Phoenix, and then it became, well, let me try the Otherworldly Gaze version again. Let me try the Pieces version. Let me play the Picklock version. Let me find this, like, let me really go deep on this. Um, ultimately, I, you know trusted Oaf's results and uh the time i trusted chris's opinions as well my own feelings i didn't play exactly the same list i i changed up my cyborg card i made some advocacy i think 
you know, I was one of the people really pushing on Prismari Charm. And I think a lot of players ended up splitting a braid in Prismari Charm. So that was, uh, um, now ultimately Edgar Magayesh was the one that, that uh, came up with that originally. He had a Prismari Charm main and mm. sideboard in his pieces list that. from the a one yeah, Canada. Split, right? Yeah, yeah, which my thought was, this was Smuggler's, so Smuggler's Copter Unbanned also. And that was a big factor in the decision. Because like, if you are against a Smuggler's Copter deck, it's not absolutely paramount that you kill it on turn two and you might want like a bigger card with more you know value in it in those sorts of matchups i did deviate i didn't play the young pyromancer or the brazen borrower i played unlicensed hearse because i was thought that to me it felt like phoenix was the best deck there was bias in that you know i didn't i didn't play blue white and i didn't give amalia enough time either i played amalia in the earlier iterations where there was a bunch of uh, you know, extraction specialists and whatever, but that was Bunch really unfair. Bunch of garbage. The lists were bad. Um, so, yeah, which, as I've mentioned, misled me particularly about how the matchup played out between yes. Phoenix and Amalia because playing against early iterations of it, I I felt it felt unlosable, and it yeah. kind of was at the time because these decks just weren't right. But now the deck is an efficient comboing machine that yeah. is it just keeps presenting lethal over and over and over again and with oh any reactive deck that's not playing a bunch of temporal isolations or like like it's just not temporal isolation temp lockdown, lockdown. Lockdown. lockdown god that was a blast from the past yeah <laughs> <laughs> enchanted creature has shadow yes. um yeah gotta block uh, off voidwalker somehow <laughs> but a, a reactive deck that's not playing like a bunch of main deck temporary lockdowns it it is actually like a real problem to keep the combo under control and i i didn't really realize that until it was a little bit too late and and that's a, a thing that i i missed in in my preparation yeah i mean for me it was uh worse lists i also i think got a little overly comfortable against yep. you never know your quality of opponent on magic online i mean to me that's the anybody who's trying to get better and is playing at their local stores like play magic online period that's the way to do it you visualize everything. You play against the best players in the world. You can play as much as you can stomach. You know, for sure that's key. And like in this year, I played more Magic Online than than I have. Uh, I actually kind of got reinvigorated in the fire when Luris Jun Saga was a deck, and mm -hmm. I played a showcase. I had just been playing leagues just because Modern was really good at the time, and I'd gotten enough QPs. And I was, I was telling Chris like I don't normally play the weekend online tournaments that much. I, leagues are just a lot more comfortable. Um, but I just like kind of randomly joined the showcase uh, qualifier challenge. I think it was. I can't remember exactly the one. Playing Jun Saga, and in that one, I was like, uh, Murktide was new at the time. I was like, I'm gonna play two Nile Spellbombs main deck and two more in the sideboard because Living End was also big. Well, I ended up winning that challenge, which again was like, I think it was the first challenge I had ever played. So really, not deserved. Oh, this is easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is easy. Uh, it went from first to top 16 to top 32 to just bomb out in the next challenges. So it's not quite as easy uh, when you actually do it repeatedly. But anyway, that was um, very much like, okay, get get into this, do the practice, find the deck, play my own that, my own strategy. Like I didn't copy the Nihil Spellbomb strategy from somewhere. I came up with that at work. Other people, and to see other people playing it in the weeks that followed, I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's really validating. But yeah, for this tournament, it was pick a deck, find the right list or, or find a list that I was comfortable with, uh, made some changes, played, played the unlicensed hearses, never cast it all tournament. I only played against the Phoenix mirror once 
I, like I said, I was overly biased. I thought Phoenix would be like 15% of the meta. I thought it was like very clearly the best deck. Um, neither of those things were true. It was like 12, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was, I think I saw like 10. Yeah, so it, was, it wasn't too far off. I, I, over, yeah. I underestimated Rakdos. I, I thought combined all the variants, it would be 15%. But I came up with that prior to, I think prior to Smuggler's Copter. I can't remember if I re rechanged my thoughts at that. And definitely before the Inti hype got... Mm -hmm. spread so far which as a fiery impulse caster i don't see it but to tris's point <laughs> earlier like it's probably it's not it's not for phoenix so that's not why you play it but yeah. uh yeah so yeah and then it just became like you know try and maximize the opportunity um and for it to have worked is still unbelievable like i still cannot believe it but um it very much was a shift in both mindset and action more action than mindset because i don't think i've like changed in how i think quite so much but it was a dedicated i'm gonna focus and i actually did put in the work could have put in more there were other portions like i could have done more to be in you know better physical shape for the tournament and like have more endurance i think in that finals match you know for anyone that hasn't watched it I hope that you don't, because I think your opinion of me as a player will drop a little bit in how I played it. Um, there were some tough choices. I made them very, I made them in a way that it's I not as bad as you're making it sound. There was a critical turn in each of the games that you made one single decision that probably wasn't right in the moment. And, you know, at, at the end of a 17 round tournament, sometimes you run out of juice. It was a very generous probably that you threw in there, but uh, I would say they were definitely very bad. But anyway, yeah, like, and I'll, you know, last thing on it, like Daniel, uh, shout out to him. He he played really tight. Um, he is a world champion in other card games. I, I understand now. Um, I had not played him before, but it was his, you know, it was his tournament. Uh, I was very happy to get, you know, they say like second is the worst place you can finish in a magic tournament. This one with the double qualification and, you know, I got, I got, it's, it's not a big, bigger trophy, but I got a trophy too. Like you can't really feel too bad about that. Um, no, you should feel great about it. Yeah. yeah. Feel, feel good about <laughs> it. Don't feel great about all the plays, but feel good about the result. And mostly though, not even in the moment, feel really good about the process, feel proud of the process. And I think I would have, even without the result, it's a lot harder to say with certainty. I probably wouldn't be as happy with it, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's proof that if you put in hard work, usually it's not going to work in Magic, but sometimes it does. I mean, to, to be one or two out of 1,300, and all of those players had to qualify for this event, you know, like... The... And it's not just about the work you did leading up to the tournament, though, obviously, that matters. It's the work you put in throughout the year, right? Like, you've yeah. just been embodying this throughout the year and every tournament you care about, which is actually what matters, because you're not always going to put in a bunch of work, immediately get a good result. Because again, this is magic. Totally. But when you put in the work, you learn things, and that's applicable to the next thing you do so you don't have to work as hard. Or yeah. you'll learn things and be able to incorporate that in so you learn better. Yeah. That's what actually matters. Paul, yeah. Paul Green is in chat confirming that fourth place is worse than second place. <laughs> oh, I, well, I, 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 Paul, good games, man. That uh, we, we watched the, the replay... I was not thinking I was going to be, I didn't know your hand when we went and actually, why well, I saw your hand at that one point and saw that that tapped hive of eye tyrant meant that you didn't play a bat God with a shielded already in play. 
I uh, uh, that the heart of the cards was with me in that game. I mean, that that was that was your game to win, and I, I got really lucky to take it down. But uh, you played extremely well. Your deck was very good, and uh, very yeah. easily could have been you in this spot. Uh, yeah, tough tough match. That you know, we were talking about that. There's like a God. There's so many things we could be talking about after this, but like we were talking about that matchup, and and specifically like the Rakdos matchup is such a different like. When you're playing Phoenix, you have a completely different set of boogeymen in the format now. Like Lotus Field is still hard. Amalia is very difficult and you need a really good plan in order to have success. But man, that gap has closed in the Rakdos matchup and the 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 way that the games play out. It, it's just like if I'm not getting run over in the first couple of turns by Rakdos, it's generally just not going to end well for them. Except the one thing and one thing that I think Paul was doing and one thing that I've heard a lot of, of people that I respect talking about as their plan is that leaning into Kroxa for the longer games is like the one place that it's like, yeah, that's really, really difficult for Phoenix to deal with and no amount of treasure cruising and, and lightning axing is, is like can always get you out of that spot. And it showed in that game too. And it's funny, I asked Paul when we were reviewing decklist before game one, I it was the first time I had seen three Kroxas. And I was like, why are you playing three Kroxas? That seems like a lot. Like, I get you can discard it to Inti, but that really seems like a lot. And he was like, well, if you look at the copyright line, you'll see this card was printed in 2020, which means it's insanely good. <laughs> which was hilarious. And then game two, Kroxa soloed me. Like, I couldn't stop it. And uh, yeah, so he was he was definitely right on that. His brothers with Uro, how could it be bad? <laughs> uh, yeah, the little, the little brother for sure, but... Uh, but still pretty strong. And if you look at that pretty toughness strong. toughness line, six that's, toughness. that's a six there. It's a very relevant amount of toughness versus Phoenix. Um Yeah, so you know, not not to like pull away from, from your story. I do want to kind of like echo some of the things that you've been talking about. You know, I also played in the tournament. Um I had a pretty good day one as well. I I went eight and two in the first the the nine rounds of day one and then the bonus round we had to play the first round of day two at 10 p.m <laughs> on day one which can i cut in real quick because yeah. uh our friend wit you know they cut after round nine and wit got a buy at round 10 he got the buy in round 10 <laughs> so he could just go home or you know leave <laughs> yes uh, and then he did he did well after that. He ended up uh, like scooping somebody into the pro like just barely missing. And then he, he had a, he had a win it in, but he he was very unlikely to make it in, so he mm -hmm. scooped his opponent. It's a classy move. Yeah, I, he got paired up, and I think it was you know the highest like total equity thing to yeah. do. But but definitely you know Wit, Wit's a great guy. So um, playing enigmatic incarnation, kind of a, a pet deck of his that that was very good for this tournament. 25% Rakdos. I mean, Enigmatic yeah. is the deck you want to play into that kind of field. Yeah, no Good clear. Phoenix matchup, too. I was able to take my opponent down, but I think he just had really awkward draws. Yeah, Enigmatic would have been a good choice for this tournament, for sure. Certainly was for many players. Yep, yep. I don't know. I, I felt very okay 
at the very end of the day. It was 11 p.m. Part of it is that I was riding a high from like I had just rattled off like a bunch of wins in a row and, and gotten reasonably lucky in my last couple. And so I felt OK. It was like, yeah, it's 11 p.m. There's no food open. I I ate cold pizza from my friend's mini fridge and that was my dinner. And then I went to sleep. But boy, getting to the site in the morning and I just like wasn't quite there for it and I played my first match and I was really struggling to kind of engage in the game from a macro standpoint I was playing turns I was playing spells and I was not playing the game and I I just like couldn't quite see things and then I I played against spirits and I was really struggling to kind of like forecast combat multiple turns in a row and the the kind of like exhaustion um I, I i just didn't adapt to it very well and i i found myself pretty frustrated with myself because i think there i was playing games that i was capable of playing much better in my ceiling reached higher than like wh where i played in that game and i just kind of let myself down and and like didn't didn't quite have what it took to like keep going in that tournament and um felt like a pretty decent level of sadness a couple of rounds in i started the day in a spot where if i went three one i'd be qualified for the pro tour and two rounds later i am no like it's all gone and i i, I felt a pretty deep sense of loss and disappointment in myself for that um i do think like i had a similar road to you mark where i i did put in the prep for the tournament and yeah. felt felt pretty strong and you know my day one really really reflected that and i think that i i am happy with a lot of what i did leading up to it but i wasn't able to like kind of keep it going down the final stretch and so like i know what i need to work on for the future and i know i need to figure out how to make that a little better and, and get my consistency levels higher but Everything that you're saying about just like put in the work, get that prep time in, make a plan for yourself and especially the pick your deck and then just start getting in those reps with that deck like 100 percent. Like that's the only reason that I got eight wins on day one is because I, I did that. I mean, I remember I think I, I messaged you, um, you published like a testing journal. Like mm -hmm. a month a month ago or so and like a root like a, a rubric because i remember seeing like i was kind of just stream of consciousness writing oh five grease fang never again yeah. you were like here was the deck and i sideboarded notes like a whole thing i was like that's a really like structured process you did put in the work and i don't know if it's consolation but like your preparation helped me directly oh like, that's i was huge I, consolation I, I was in your chat Every time you were streaming, like I was watching, I was checking your VODs, I was checking your tweets. You and Scott, I was going to your Twitters, just refresh new sideboard <laughs> notes, new deck list, new result, whatever. Like these two guys are really pushing forward. I'm going to practice as much as I can, but I'm going to try and lean on them. And a lot of the ideas, Scott's main deck, I played. Chris, I think you started the Fable innovation and it was huge for me. So, I mean, you guys, like everybody that does this, puts like a, a service for the community and I was a benefactor in that. And, you know, when you invited me onto the podcast and, and on the, the stream we, we did walking through the top eight, like 
to be able to like contribute my own thoughts. You know, I've had people reach out and ask me for thoughts on cards and matchups and whatever. Like I just, it, it wasn't something that I thought it's something I always wanted, you know, would, would love to do, but like, you kind of got to earn that, you know, you can't, you don't just get the the spot without, you know, putting in the work. And I look at like the grind cast, you guys have been doing this for years. And I know there's a lot of reasons that go into it, but like it is a service to the community. And there's a lot of people out there that appreciate it that you don't hear from every day. And as someone who has been a recipient, a longtime listener, first time caller, and now for <laughs> this tournament specifically, Chris, your focused prep was a major influence on me. And I mean, that, that you know, you ask if it's any sort of consolation. It's like more than that, I th- more than a consolation, I think, Good. because like, you know, you love to succeed in a magic tournament. But I am quite aware that my skill set is talking about magic and communicating about magic. And, you know, if I can be like, I would much rather be a helpful source of information than like basically anything else. So, uh, you know, it, and, and, and when, when you tweeted about it and like, then I, I realized that like, oh yeah, that, that was that was Mark in the top. Like I, I, cause we were driving home and I like missed the top eight announcement. And I like my, my friend in the front seat, my friend David in the front seat was like giving updates on like which deck was winning and stuff. I didn't realize it was you until I saw like the top eight picture on Twitter at home. I was like, Oh shit. And then I, you know, saw that you got second place. And, um, I, it, I actually like was feeling a little down and then like I got a notification and you mentioning that like, yeah, like the stream was helpful and I mentioned it to my girlfriend, like how good that made me feel that, you know, I, that anything I did made, gave any help to you in, in doing well in this tournament. And obviously, you know, you won the matches, but, and, and you played very well and you, you made a list that was like really well suited to the field. Um, but I do think that like kind of the way that the community kind of works on stuff together is really valuable and it, it's it's nice to do it together i i know that we've talked about this uh privately ccr in like terms of personal success versus like wanting other people to be good and i came down like really hard on the line of not caring that much about my results in comparison to like helping other people try to do th- and I'm, I'm not the most of magic anyway so it doesn't matter that much but i really am happy that you're able to attribute us and chris especially to some of your success that that makes me feel really good it's huge i mean i have always been i've mentioned this earlier my most what deck i was playing in a weekend for many years of my playing career was what deck won last weekend and it was partially because I thought long-term, this is that's going to get me the most exposure. This is going to be the best for my development. Just jumping into these tournaments. Learn. Now, if I had also been putting in the work in the Magic Online streets at the same time, maybe I would have had an open win or, you know, whatever. Like I've got, you know, a couple top eights, whatever, but um, I had not put in the work. But even still, you got to think about like strategically, how are you going to approach it? You asked like, what was your plan for testing? I have always had the mindset of like, stand on the shoulders of giants, find the best person in the room and try to do what they're doing. And and you probably won't be as good as they are because like it takes a very specific 
level of skill to be like innovating and pushing forward. But if you can get into somebody's slipstream, like it's going it, to, it can help you. And Dude, yeah. yeah, we, we were talking about Ross a little while ago. Yeah. Um, just like, especially during the heyday of the SCG tour, like I especially remember like him showing up with modern Phoenix as soon as Arclight Phoenix is legal and just fucking yep. winning it over with it. That's, that is the thing that I like have such respect for and admire in such an like I, just deeply I, I i think it's an incredible skill and i know that it's one that i don't have access to but i am happy to take the work that somebody else does like kind of getting there and then try to translate it into something that that i can use from there uh but i think it's okay to not hit that level i i, I think very few people have that I think it's a really key skill to be able to recognize quickly what has promise. Like yeah. I, I remember the tournament you're talking about. I that was when Collins was still on the podcast, and uh, we were playing like modern weekly constantly, like me and Collins together. And I, I was at the at that point trying out the Phoenix deck that was relatively new, and there's like a bunch of garbage versions of it. Yeah, lots of like, is it charms in that modern deck yeah, to start yeah. with. It used so, to play uh, faceless looting. I forgot about that. Oh, oh let, me, let me get <laughs> let me get into the meat of the story because I'm playing this Phoenix deck in like a weekly local modern tournament, and I'm like, me and Collins are talking about it, and Collins asked me what I think about it, and I'm like, I think this deck has real bones, but all of these cards are terrible. I am playing is it charm and fiery temper in my deck. Like, why are those cards in my deck? <laughs> Fiery Temper was in the deck at one point. Uh, yep. We didn't understand. <laughs> still not sure. sure that is a charm in my main deck for last weekend. But still not sure. So it's, <laughs> so it's yeah. really it's really impressive that people like Ross are able to see past all of the... And even the like Amalia people from this yep. like, evolution of this past few weeks are able to see past these like promising lists and be like, all right, let's cut all the garbage here and let's yeah. put in, you know return to the ranks or what have you <laughs> and to have the like guts to say i'm gonna go into this tournament with a deck that i created even the best players uh, you know there i i think like a player like ross has some humility and probably does not think every idea is the best idea and i'm certainly gonna win and no questions whatever like the best but i had a person tweet at me uh, asking like uh, you know, oh, you, you. I think they were asking about like the split between Spike Field and Jawari or something. They're like, well, clearly it's mm -hmm. not question. You can't question it because you won. But yeah. what, blah blah blah. And I said, no, you should always. I'm still questioning it. Like yeah. I was questioning it every time that Spike Field Hazard was tapped and it was a red source and I needed a blue source. I was questioning it and I'm still questioning it. But to be able to have the confidence to say I'm going to go in and do it my way. I mean, think about like Aspiring Spike. Like he is crushing it in Magic, and the, the not only content producer, his results are impressive, but he does it his own way. I've never been a brewer. I've never been like an encyclopedic knowledge of all cards available in a format. I'm actually pretty excited to start playing Standard a little bit more, and maybe I can oh, identify some cards. Me too. You know? I've I've gotten like three brews. I really want to play on Standard. There we I'm go. Desperately hoping. Right, one of these standard RCs actually fires because I really wanted to play Dark Store Champs and it just didn't. I saw the tweet that that's that's pretty yeah. rough. I, it's going to take a little more than like standards going to be revitalized. Yeah, you, yeah, to, you can't just say that. You need, we need some. Yeah, I'm part it, of the people trying complex. to make it happen. Like I built a yeah. deck 
I got some people. <laughs> I tried to play an event. It didn't work. I'm trying. I'm hoping we'll actually fire a stupid uh, RCQ. That'll be well, nice. Lee, I, I think I think Wizards has a little bit more of an accountability in this than you do personally, but I, do, I think we all appreciate your efforts. Look, I'm I'm doing my part. <laughs> You're doing your part. That's for sure. Um, this is I, this is kind of dumb, and I might regret it because it's a, an embarrassing uh, for when I was 18 years old. We can cut it out if we have to. Yeah. One of the reasons I played Phoenix, uh, I have one tattoo. I got it when I was 18. <laughs> Ah, hey. cool. It's, it's a phoenix. So it's kind of like I had, yeah. to, I had to do it. So cut that if it's lame. But uh. no, I honestly <laughs> like we have a little bit of. I, so I haven't gotten the tattoo yet, but my next tattoo is going to be a "Some Storms Never Blow Over" tattoo because I oh, am just that's the flavor text of our clay phoenix. Yeah, who hasn't read the card compulsively as they put oh, it to yeah. play for the like four hundredth time. <laughs> I, I just I love the card so much. I love that flavor text on the card because it fits the mechanics and also is just like like matches the personality of the card in a way that I think is is delightful. And I just, you know, it makes me happy to think about the card Arclight Phoenix. So I you know, I'm I'm right there with you. Your next step is in your next RC. You gotta make the arena caw sound every time you bring one back. That's <laughs> true. An ops tattoo. tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, my right shoulder's clean. Maybe maybe that's where it goes. Let's see. I remember the wasteland period. Uh not the card wasteland, but just like the 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 wasteland period of modern between the ponder and preordain ban and they had not yet printed opt in dominaria and there were just zero cantrips available in the format except for serum visions thank Slight you answer. sir yeah, on the of hand. mishra's bobble uh-huh <laughs> hey that was the best one <laughs> mishra's bobble yeah. still is the best one agree yeah i remember the opt reprinting and we were just like oh like the world has just opened up and yeah and now you're a pioneer you're like oh this is I don't know, Chris. What do you think is the worst of the three cantrips? I mean, clearly there's one that's the best, but uh, what do you think is the second best? Um, I do. I like. I value the instant speed pretty specifically, and and I mean, this isn't a totally fair comparison, but whenever I trim a cantrip, it's almost always that I'm trimming a serum vision, or that, that I'm almost always trimming a sleight of hand. But that's generally because I'm bringing counter magic in from the board when I'm doing that. So right. the instant speed on the opt is a little more even more valuable after sideboarding so yeah yeah i agree with that i think i tried to i don't know if i actually sideboarded out a cantrip all tournament and i was leaning away from even doing it in the, in the testing looking at the guides when i saw sleight of hands getting cut that made me think like there's just too many cards for the matchup like the cantrips right. are so Same. good i remember we had a conversation on one of the weekends i think uh, scott was trying out an 11 cantrip version and um I think I said something in the chat of like, I wouldn't we want to play 13 or 14 or 15, I don't know. And then Scott countered and said, well, I would play 13 considers, which is fair because they're not absolutely equal. But um, yeah, I like them. And I think I think I lean towards you. The instant speed, particularly in the post board games is very relevant. Um, I see in the chat the uh, thought scour. <laughs> Let's get thought scour into Pioneer. That's oh, what baby. I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. If I can play run four in 16 for thought scour, oh, I'll play 16. Yo. Y'all, if Thought Scour gets printed into Pioneer, Dig Through Time is not. And Dig Through Time yeah, is yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They're, they're not, not safe. Let, All right. we'll let the formats keep their identity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the, the sideboarding out of cantrip thing is pretty real. I I think that 
you have to have a reason to basically it's either like, oh, there's Thalia's on the other side. So I want to be a sure. little lighter on cantrips or this is a thing that I ran into a lot against Amalia specifically is that they threaten you so early and your mana is so taxed by dealing with stuff and the existence of collected company, meaning that you kind of don't even want to necessarily like tap out for cantrips at the end of their turn all the time. Uh, mm. So sometimes you get overloaded with cantrips and picklock pranksters when you really need to just have some red spells in your hand that you don't need to cantrip into. Uh, yeah. And then that that matchup in particular was like, man, there's just like in this matchup, I got a few too many cantrips in my deck. It makes sense. I mean, it, it definitely cannot be right to never board them out. You know, um, I think I probably skewed a little too hard towards, so you know, you know they're sacred. Don't touch them. Mm -hmm. um, but your points of like when they're bad, uh, that definitely, or when they're less good, um, yeah. that that definitely makes. They're sense. never bad. Yeah, but sometimes it's like. I have three sleight of hands in my hand right now and a picklock prankster and I can't do this. I don't have the mana for this. Yeah, yeah. What if my opponent plays an Inti? I was laughing before, but now. Right, now I need that fiery <laughs> impulse right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. But anyways, so you know, you you finish day one at X11. Yeah. And you then you know, rattle off a couple of wins. What were your matchups like over the, the course of the weekend? Was there anything particularly interesting during the Swiss or, or, you know, story of the tournament stuff? Yeah. You know, every game there, there, early in day one, I felt like I, it was fairly smooth sailing. I think I just paired into some good, some fairly good matchups. And, you know, I, I felt especially day one, I'm not fatigued. You know, I felt like I was playing really well. I thought I had my preparation was very much on point. I thought the list was solid, all that. Um, round one, I get paired against Quintorius. And I thought, oh, that's the like. Have I made a mistake? I, yeah, like it was it was there. It was under our nose all the time. You know, it was won that tournament. We should have. Anyway, I do think my opponent's build was um, he sort of had merged the Leyline Binding uh, green spells version with Opus Gearhulk also. And I wasn't a big fan of that. I think that uh, I played Quintorius a little bit in like the week before. Um, I had a buddy, Ryan, who uh, was like, I just have a, one of my friends just played this new Quintorius list. He's 10-0 right now. Like it's still really good. It was the Gearhulk Opus version. And so I was like, I got to give this a shot. I felt like, yeah, it's, it's still good, but it's not Geo level good. That extra mana is just way too significant um to to be as oppressive as it was but no i thought that like the gear hulk version of quintorius was really strong because we saw in the geo the two weeks of geo the decks that beat it were counter spells and removal and particularly counter spells um with quintorius because now the removal is not as relevant because you have planeswalker uh although there is one removal spell that is relevant <laughs> yeah second anyway i actually thought the quintorius Gear Hulk version was great because the plan B really mitigated your weakness. It wasn't like, you know, with Birthing Pod, your plan B is attack them with creatures, but you're still vulnerable to anger of the gods or whatever. With Quintorius, your plan B being Gear Hulk is like, your your way to beat me is counterspells. Here's something that's insanely good against counterspells because it's an instant, you know, Opus is already in the list, whatever. So played against Quintorius, 
opponent just kind of stumbled a little bit, had some tapped lands, uh, actually had a key turn, final turn of game two. He found his sixth land to cast Thought Distortion, but it was a triome. There was also a situation where, you know, plays a Quintorius, down ticks it, Spike Field Hazard. That, so when I realized that interaction, that Spike Field Hazard stops a Quintorius that has minus uh, for the Discover, that's when I essentially locked the second Spike Field. I was leaning towards Jabari um, because just a blue land is a lot better than a red land in Phoenix. Um, to some extent, now you can run into situations, especially post-board, like against Amalia, you have Brotherhoods and Crackling Drake. My list had 14 red sources, and again, credit to Scott, he did the most of the innovation there and was someone that was a very big proponent of the two Spike Fields uh, because it's a better spell. Uh, but for me, when I realized Quintorius is probably better than we're thinking it's going to be, and this land can stop their main spell, as well as, you know, returning Phoenixes, what all the things that Spikefield can do. Green was starting to maybe be a thing. Spike was doing really, really well with um, his mono green list, uh, which I think was really good and maybe even a worse matchup for Phoenix than Hidden Strings. Probably not quite that bad, but but certainly in that tier of nightmare matchups. I, I thought the spike field was good. Uh, second round, I played against Michael Mapson, really great guy. We had played at a classic years and years ago. Um, he was playing Sacrifice. I think just Phoenix really had the number of red black this weekend. Uh, I think for a lot of reasons, post board, we get a lot better because we're already countering their reactive plan. And I think pre board, you're playing Inties and Smugglers Copters and Mayhem Devils. I mean, it's a fiery impulse world. When Smugglers Copter got unbanned, I thought I was playing fiery impulse before really set on it when Smuggler's Copter got unbanned. Didn't turn out to be as relevant of a card, but um, still still important. I think next I played Convoke. Um, I think Convoke is a pretty good matchup for Phoenix, as long as you have your Brotherhood's Ends. Uh, opponent's draws you know, weren't insane. I uh, was able to take that down. I think the, the next... The matchup is mostly dependent on opponent's draw, whether opponent's draws are insane are or just insane. good. You can be yeah, good draws. The insane draws are, are not tenable. Yeah, and there's a weird pressure in that, like, they have Thalia. A lot of the lists have Thalia in the main deck, which presumably is to some degree because it's good against Phoenix, but it's really incongruous with the main game plan because it's only mm -hmm. one body, and Thalia's can only be so good against I mean, it dies, yeah, it costs two mana, but it dies to everything too. It can you get caught up with two legends, whatever. So... Yeah, I thought Convoke, um, it was initially pretty high on my list. I thought with Warden it would be really good. I just like I think we've already covered this, but I think the rest of the decks just got better. And it's so bad against Amalia, and I think it's pretty bad against Phoenix. It's not like incredible against Rakdos. Um, I do think, I think probably the, the the matchup chart is probably you know we're we're towards the bottom of the actual range of what that matchup is. But the matchup chart from the weekend had uh, Convoke winning twenty percent of its matches against Amalia, which. That's not very good. It's not where you want to be uh, against any deck, let alone like what is probably. I always try and think about like when it, when I'm playing a deck and it gets banned, I'm like, great, I was making the right decision. Like that, that's that's validation. If and I don't like to think about bans or talk about bans. It's like kind of again, it's outside of your control. Just you know, if your deck gets banned, it happens. It's part of playing the game. Like nobody's forcing you to buy these cards. Nobody's forcing you to play these tournaments. Like it is what it is. It comes with the territory look at it as validation of you made a good decision when a deck gets banned and you know hope you didn't buy hope you didn't foil it out because that's you know locked it. anyway no, i i know i i that, i think that's a really good point because i have an entire binder of banned cards at this point and i it, it, i think it's just a good strategy to play a dangerous deck 
Exactly. Because those are the good ones. And right. I like I think Amalia falls in that bucket. And I also think Phoenix falls in that bucket because it plays Treasure Cruise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think I might just, as I like to draw three cards, I just put that out of my brain. I'm like, no, 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 no. that's very much acceptable because that's the magic <laughs> I like. Uh, but yeah, no, I think Amalia is the one that's most putting a pressure on the it's, format right it's now. It's certainly the most overt, but I mean, it took yeah. Noxa like 10 years to get banned, and that was clearly a dangerous card too. That's true. That's true. Um, round four, I'm against Amalia for the first time, and specifically a list that does not play Collected Company, which was honestly one of the main reasons after I played the Extraction Specialist list that was bad. I still didn't give it much uh, credence. It's Collected Company, I've just seen players pay four mana, and get back to way too many times. And I just did not want to... I'm just not a Collected Company fan. Um, sure. My opponent wasn't either. Uh, I think he worked with uh, Elliot Raff and uh, others on a team, and they came up with Knight of uh, Knight Aaron of Eos as their uh, additional replacement for Collected Company. Which, it's funny, actually. We call Boros the Convoke deck. Amalia Convokes a lot, too. Uh, especially yeah, Absent Convoke. Absent yep. Convoke, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was a pretty interesting split, and, and, and game two, it was hugely relevant. Uh, I Brother has ended, and the 4-4 survived, and that was a big part of him winning game two. Um, we go into game three, and you know I think we probably had 15 minutes on the clock, something like that. Both of us were playing relatively deliberately. The game went pretty long, just naturally. We got into a situation where I Brotherhood's end, but it tapped me out of all of my red. And I was left with two open blue sources and like four cards in hand. And my opponent had seen, I had disdainful stroked in game two because my original plan was to bring in negate, but he didn't have company. So, and he had another five drop. So I thought, well, disdainful stroke is going to be better than negate. Stroked his knight game two. Uh, the next turn he just plays another one. He commented when I did it like, wow, I'm surprised that you had that. And I made the comment about company, whatever. Fast forward. I've got two open mana. Guess what's in my hand? Stroke, obviously. The most obvious stroke of all time. My opponent is sitting there, and I, he I'm not sure if he knew stroke was there, but he definitely recognized like he's at like 19. I have like a ledger shredder in play. It doesn't even have count or something. What am I even gonna do? He can take his time. He ends up putting together a line where he returned to the ranks for one to get mm -hmm. back a prosperous innkeeper that gives him the black source treasure he needs to cast Amalia. Long story short, he goes off. And I'm sitting there with a stroke in hand thinking, if this was negate, I could counter that thing. We're still in the game, whatever. Amalia blows up. And I think turns get called at that point. Something like that. I had a pick lock on adventure. I had like a phoenix I could return. I was essentially, long story short, I was able to chump block. And I was very close to conceding because a draw that early in the tournament is really negative for both players. I mean, there's a match point between you that evaporates. That's that's not in your best interest for a draw. Mm -hmm. I thought my opponent was very likely to win the game. Um, certainly not 100%. I did think it was feasible that I could chump my way. Like, my next card was Crackling Drake, hitting him for 20 a turn or whatever. It's possible that I could win. Um, but my main thought, honestly, it wasn't like altruistic, like, oh, you deserve the win. Like, you know. You could have played faster. I could have played like all of these different factors. But I did think going into the draw bracket was of, of concern. I was like, I, you know, I'm going to be paired against blue white a bunch. But then I very quickly realized like, wait a second, I'm playing Phoenix. I'm fine with that. In all honesty, I wonder if my opponent should have conceded because Amalia into the draw bracket is not a good situation. Yeah, yeah a nightmare. 
Yeah. So I obviously I'm not going to, it was, it was very quick. We had a bunch of judges. Um, uh, we were one of the last matches. And as soon as it hit his turn five, he realized he could not win. He put out his hand for the draw and it went so fast. We, I, we unintentionally drew neither of us had, I think enough time to really factor in. It should, should it, would it be beneficial to concede? So I thought I'm into the draw bracket. That's, Maybe not ideal, although I actually think for Phoenix, you look, we have Phoenix had a nearly uh, like 58% win rate against Blue White. So finding your way into the draw bracket in that tournament with Phoenix was actually a good thing. I didn't know it at the time, but I was thinking probably fairly good against Blue White. Uh, spoiler, I played Blue White three times in day one. Um, okay. I know okay. some of the Blue White players I talked to, Phoenix was always uh, like, it's the most popular deck and we have a plan against it, but the matchup does not is not comfortable. <laughs> yeah, they have a really, really good game one. But post board, yeah, yeah. I mean, our, the the post board plan with the Drakes and and especially with your Fables, like, is is very positive. But also, like, once Blue White is tilted towards other things, it, it's it's very difficult to respect unless you're doing the main deck Hallowed Moonlight thing or whatever. It's very My difficult to respect, <laughs> yeah, Amalia and Phoenix at the same time. So stuff like, oh, I need four temporary lockdowns in my deck is, you know not not really the the plan against is it yeah uh, i would i was actually going to say the fables you said your fables i was going to actually say chris those were your fables well you know i, <laughs> I got the idea from top you, eight but, the rc with them so i mean any you know could have easily been roles reversed i i think you, you've you've you put in the work as well um so yeah go into the draw bracket uh what do you think i play against first yeah. white control of course Able to slice him pretty easily. I really think that your post board really is is a really solid against blue white. Um, from there, I think I played another Rakdos opponent. Pretty straightforward. I played against a blue white Lotus opponent who that deck did not perform well this weekend in games one and three. He didn't find Lotus Field and like he was just a way expensive blue white deck. And I was able to you know use two mana spells to counter five mana spells. I'm um, so happy that we finally have data. Proving say this deck is... that Blue White Lotus is unplay. It doesn't function. It's not a real deck. It's the, perhaps the worst yeah. deck in Pioneer. Look, I, it know... led to my this this tournament led to one of my favorite Spike tweets, which is that looks like the the Blue White Lotus field players are just sequencing too many land drops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. There's been some great tweets of Blue White Lotus is so hard to play because you might miss sequence your land drops. <laughs> That's really really funny. Um, played against a Fires player, uh, looking at the data from the weekend, not a great matchup for Phoenix. My opponent in game one, hard cast three Bone Crusher Giants, I think his draw just Whoa. like really did not come together. Um, and then in game two, I think there was an enigmatic, double enigmatic situation. He got a clever impersonator to copy one. He sacked them both and was trying to do like, I think a somewhat overly fancy kill your phoenix and then extract it with the, the other five drop and cast it Kitose, type thing. Silent, yeah plus uh tulsimir were his two the two thing oh, cards he went and cards. got cool. yeah but i had a red mana up i killed the tulsimir in response to the fight the phoenix stayed alive the rat had to eat i think treasure cruise which at that point i had like five power in play um and so was able to to, to take him down in a matchup that, that would have been pretty rough uh otherwise um, I think I might have missed one or two, but that was most of day one. That was the last match of technically day one. Day two started at, you know, 10 p.m. or whatever it was, get paired up against Blue White again. This time it was the hero version. So I played against Blue White four times on the weekend, four different versions, uh, lost to the best one, I think. 
out of curiosity, did you play against Yorion Blue at all? Only in the finals. Okay. Because the, yeah. there was a huge... I, I know you play against the finals. But there was a huge like discrepancy of win rate between Yorion oh, yeah. Blue White and normal Blue White. Totally. And Definitely uh, validating to the Jesse Robkins of the world who have been... <laughs> She has been championing Yorion yes. as like pretty the clearly most powerful way to build blue white, and the results of this weekend certainly played that 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 played out. She's been on point with deck selection in a lot of formats. I, I uh, qualified for Denver playing Rakdos Scam, and and her content on Scam was a huge part of it. Um, shout out to the Patreon; it was it was a big part of it. The guides, the lists. Um, so yeah, not surprised that, that she was ahead of the curve on that one. Um, I I will say just I this is this is. I, 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 Jesse is incredible and she's so smart and her, her guides are, are super useful and she has great opinions. I, I had an excellent conversation with her during the tournament because she played Phoenix and she played a piece of the puzzle version of Phoenix. And I was talking with her about that and, you know, her kind of explanation for it was to express frustration with herself because she still didn't really know which one was better, but she like thinks in her heart that Picklock Prankster was probably better, but she kept going back and forth as good magic players around her kind of advocated for one or the other. And she really struggled to kind of like put, find her footing and like come to her own truth of like what the proper choice is. And to hear that from somebody that I have so much respect for and like, cause I, the same thing has certainly happened to me in, in the past with different card choices, just like, I don't know who to believe and I don't know like how to trust myself on this one. Um, and you know, everybody struggles with these sorts of things. And, and, you know, I, I, I think Jesse is an incredible player and she's not immune to, to this sort of feeling. That's that's comforting, both that she was playing Phoenix as well. So that's another justification, another validation that it was definitely a, a good choice. I struggled with pieces. I really I think I was probably hearing some of the same chatter, same players saying, hey, you should play pieces. Oh, that's right. She had switched to Amalia like just before the event. But like like she okay. was playing pieces Phoenix like right up to it and had planned to until she like audible right at the Found end. It. So that that's that was the the story there. She found a grinder or a vendor and got all the Amalia cards. <laughs> right. So there's where all the bitter triumphs went <laughs> uh i wonder how many whole dollars she paid for them i was struggling with pieces as well i thought that you cannot argue with oaf's trophy count that that was a big part of it and i also want to shout out levi sprung um really great guy super talented um and he's uh reached out to him really just respects his opinions on magic and i said hey you know, I know you're hearing the same stuff. Like, where you're in the you're in the Phoenix chats as well, and on the streams. And he put in a lot of work for this event as well. Um, also played Phoenix. Uh, ended up playing, I think, a four pick lock one pieces version, which I had thought about. Like, do you play one pieces in the flex slot? I think their team ended up not playing the soft counters main, um, which I'm not sure. Like, I think with the prevalence of blue white in this tournament, I'm glad to have had the spell pierce. And is it less happy on the is it charm, but was happy on the spell pierce. <laughs> Uh, despite throwing the spell pierce into the garbage and my tournament chances in the finals. Uh, we'll get to that match, I'm sure. So anyway, yeah, he 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 also was like, I like Prankster. And I was pretty much there, but it did take validation from, again, players that I respect, the trophy counts, etc., to say, I'm not going to... You know, a lot of the, some of the players that were saying play pieces, 
weren't playing in the tournament this weekend. They were in other regions and things like that. And I tested both. I five out a league with pieces and thought, wow, this, 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 like, it's great, but like, it just doesn't feel, you can feel the difference. And the, one of the deciders for me was get lost being adopted in blue white. And you just need something to put those map tokens on. Like that's a big deal. And the mm-hmm. one, three is a card. It's relevant. It's a second thing for shredder. Like somebody said, we were talking pieces and like, well, pieces gets you two cards. Pick lock gets you one. And someone's like, no, Picklock does get you two cards. It's yeah, just one of them one is a 1-3. Mm-hmm. You can, that 1-3 that mattered a lot. I actually, in my uh, you know player interview sheet, it said, what was your most relevant card? And at the time I wrote Picklock Prankster, I would revise that to Crackling Drake after the top eight. But uh, Picklock Prankster was a big deal. And it just goes to show, like, the pieces believers certainly have very good points, you know what? And maybe they're right. I do think it becomes really hard to believe that they're right after, again, another round of data that I think pretty definitively says that Picklock is the way you want to play Phoenix. But um, just trusting in your own... It, it, back to the beginning of this, like, in earlier days, I would have played the pieces version because a better player said to, and I would have not put in the work myself to get my own opinion on the matter. I felt strongly that Picklock felt a lot better to me, but still needed the, the validation from from others um ultimately glad i played it maybe one piece is good maybe pieces should be a card in the sideboard for the mirror probably not a great use of the slot hard to say uh yeah so round 10 blue white control uh won the match uh my opponent had main deck settle the wreckage this is the first main deck settle the wreckage that i ran into <laughs> and uh or no, actually the second two of my blue white opponents had main main deck settle which oh man yeah, and I even asked, I was like, did you just do this for open deck list? I mean, I totally respect that. But um, And he was saying, no, he, he actually played it in closed deck list as well. Um, so game three, uh, we're in a situation where he's got, I think, six open mana, maybe seven open mana. I have a flipped fable. I have a drake that's been in my hand for a couple turns. And the cla- this is how you win versus blue-white. Reflection is there. It's active. You play a drake. You copy the drake. They do something. You counter it. In fact, in this game, my opponent had settle, negated the settle. He vetoed my negate, and then I had a spell pierce to counter the settle. So I think my opponent was pretty surprised to lose from that situation, but Chris's fables uh, were very good. Um, I I didn't play the fables. I know. So I, I can't, you know, I don't think you can give me that, that level of credit. I, I ended I up know. off of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, day two, uh, or I guess technical, real day two, whatever. Uh, get paired against Rakdos Sacrifice. So honestly, looking at, I looked at like the top, I was in 14th going into day two, eight, one, and one, feeling like, oh, kind of happy that I had this draw, not only for the blue-white uh, matchups, but like that's an extra point that's, that could be very relevant. If I want to top eight this tournament or make top, you know, my goal was top 32. If I want to make that goal, that draw, that match point is going to be relevant. So I was looking at the the top 50 or so players and I saw like three hidden strings and I was terrified. And one of my buddies was like, just keep winning and you'll avoid them, which is <laughs> was a good plan. Um, so fortunate, you know, you, you, so much has to go right to, to win a tournament. You need to play well, at least well enough. You need to have a good deck. You need to have the preparation. You need to get the good matchups. You need to top deck when you need it. Like all these things have to go right. Big part of doing well this weekend, I didn't face strings. I was talking about Levi. He played Phoenix. His first two rounds were both against strings. 
that's really unfortunate. You know, I think he actually might have won both of those rounds also, which again, nice. Zoomers be crazy. Like these, yeah, these kids geez. are really, really good. Um, so get, I get paired against Rakdos uh, sacrifice in beginning of day two. And I'm thrilled because I just think our Rakdos matchup with Phoenix is so good, especially post board. Uh, get game one uh, easy. Game two, he plays like turn two Blood Tithe Harvester, turn three Blood Tithe Harvester. I have a Lightning Axe. I don't have a Phoenix to discard, and I'm worried about Mayhem Devil because Mayhem Devil is their best card. I don't Lightning Axe the Blood Tithe Harvester. He plays a second. I don't do it again. I take like nine damage from this thing. So I completely lose the game by just dying to what's in front of me, playing around. They both have three power. It's not like he had Cat Oven going. Like, I was just like, I don't know. It was a really poor decision to not kill that blood tithe and i think it was a bit compounding because when you don't kill it and you take a hit now now the mayhem devil is scarier it's yeah. scarier and like you yes. take another hit are you going to kill it now like yeah some cost know, fallacy 100 percent. very victim very <laughs> fell victim to that but you know was up a game really good matchup so i go into the third game and i'm like not a problem his draw is fine but not crazy i land a drake on turn four He's got, like, Cat, Mayhem Devil. He taps it for Mayhem Devil, leaves up one mana. I've got the Drake. It's, like, a six. I draw. It's Treasure Cruise. I have, like, five cards in hand. I have a Fiery Impulse. And I'm, like, game over. I got it. Smooth. Dave 2 starting off the way it's supposed to. I'm about to Treasure Cruise, and I realize, oh, well, if I Treasure Cruise, I'm going to lose Spell Mastery. Well, I don't want him to have a Mayhem Devil, so let me Fiery Impulse the Mayhem Devil, and now we'll Treasure Cruise. And then I'm going to attack him with this Drake, and I'm going to win the game. In response to the Treasure Cruise, guess what he taps one black mana for? I'm thinking, like, what, do you have a Counterspell? No, a Fatal Push, obviously. He kills my Drake. My, my Cruise draws, like, two lands and a Fiery Impulse, or like a Consider, so, like, not a great Treasure Cruise. So I go for it. He untaps, buys Gigantha, next turn plays Gigantha. I am completely on the ropes in a game that I really had no business losing other than a massive punt. You know, his his Mayhem Devil was not a threat. There was no sack outlet going. I was at 17 or something. You know, it just was totally getting, playing too fast, feeling too confident from being where I thought I was ahead and playing right into the only thing that could beat me. Um, so that was an issue. Fortunately, you know, two turns later, I draw another Drake. I'm able to like chump block one of the hits from the Gigantha, get to a situation where he's basically forced to activate a Hive of the Eye Tyrant to try and kill me. But I had treasure cruised, paying four mana, keeping one card in the graveyard and one mana up or one spell in the graveyard because I had the Fiery Impulse. So it was a very tough decision of like, I'm probably going to hit another spell and get Spell Mastery. But if I don't have Spell Mastery, I lose on the spot. So. I think my opponent really had no choice. He had to activate that hive there and hope I just was tapping weird for Treasure Cruise anyway. Um, but yeah, so I was able to pull that game out in one where I really threw it away. Um, but, you know, the cards fell the, th the way they did, which was nice. And there were other places where I made good plays. And, like there was a turn where I recognized I need to block this cat because if I don't, that means he's going to deal an extra point and that's going to put me in lethal range, whatever. So it's not to say all the plays were bad, but I have this theory with magic and, and kind of with life as well it's not about making good plays it's about not making bad plays like making good plays is the expectation um so in that moment made a bad play and got nearly I mean, punished in that sequence of turns and almost you know would have been a way different weekend had 
the, that second crackling drake not been there to bail me out um you can also flip it and like see it from your opponent's perspective the turn you're casting the treasure screws after killing a mayhem devil they're probably like oh thank god he did this <laughs> oh yeah i bet i bet they're like wow he just completely let me back in this game that i had no business being in yeah, killing my irrelevant he, mayhem devil <laughs> he sustained not making a bad play long enough <laughs> yes totally totally um Later on in the day, I think my next round was against Convoke. Uh, opponent mold to five game one. You know, like Chris said, if, if they don't do their thing really well, you're, you're pretty good. Game two, he got me. Game three, uh, Brotherhood's End. Like, I was, it was kind of at parity. He had like five permanents. I think I had a Drake at that point. Um, and just, you know, my turn five, draw step. Oh, it's Brotherhood's End. Like, the game's going well anyway, and I just got a five for one. Um, I did actually have to make a it wasn't a decision. He had like five creatures and three artifacts. So I cast oh. Brotherhood's End and he's like, which mode? <laughs> I'm going to take the five and not the three. He ended up using all of those artifacts in the turns that came. So again, I think it was the right play for sure. But, yeah, but I don't think they did damage to you quite the no, same. No, not quite the same. Not quite the same. Um, <laughs> I Yeah, I cast a Brotherhood's End and my opponent went to pick up their Blood Tithe Harvester and, and like another creature. And I was like, no, you have two ovens in play. And he was like, mm. yeah, you're right. And yeah. he picked up his ovens yeah. and put them in the graveyard. Uh, good good on the opponent. Just, you know, lead the witness a little bit here. But, uh... <laughs> no, no, I respected it. I don't know if yeah. he was doing it intentionally. It doesn't hold up either, for trial. Either way, I respect <laughs> it. <laughs> Call the lawyer. Where's the bird lawyer? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Convoke, pretty smooth. Again, I think it's just a good matchup. And then uh, the last round that I played in, in day two was against an Amalia player. Full foil deck. Wow. Stomped, which honestly is crazy. Like, wait, yeah, how? How? He <laughs> <laughs> didn't have bitter triumph, so he was able to get the cards. Well, um, no, they're a foil return to the ranks and they're yeah. foils to note scouts. Like, where did you find the time to get these cards? <laughs> full, full foil. His list was interesting. It had Fiend Artisan, um, which. Oh, the uh, hybrid one. Yeah, okay. The hybrid one. Yep, which I was not incredibly sold by although in deep in game three he had two five fives and that was somewhat close he actually ended up falling uh partially due to mana confluence he just took a lot of damage from his mana confluence and i was able to get phoenix into play relatively early uh there was a situation where a like a old school 2015 modern scavenger use he ended up he tapped all of his mana um just to be efficient at the end step with the scavenging use which let me axe the ooze he didn't know about the axe and i think that was part of his logic was like this ooze isn't going to stick around i better get all the value that i can it's trying to keep me off spell mastery um but i was able to discard a phoenix to the axe and then the next turn return it that was a big thing i think if he had just kept up a green mana at all times i wouldn't have been able to get that phoenix back into play he wouldn't have been as pressured so you know it, it's it's tough but in the game one i kept i think in hindsight a very bad hand it did not have at first priority is red removal Going into the tournament, my thought with Amalia is never let it explore. Just stop it with the life gain triggers on the stack. That is priority one above all else. Do not, don't play your Ledger Shredder. Don't cantrip. Just do not let Amalia explore once. Or, um, yeah, don't let it get above. Because especially if it ever gets to four toughness, now your Brotherhood's Ends aren't even going to work in game two. Mm -hmm. uh, and game two and three. So I keep... You know, it's like probably three lands, four cantrips, or maybe like three lands, three cantrips, and a cruise, something like that. I think I was on the play. I, I can't remember exactly. But the issues were it didn't have red spells. It didn't have red lands, fortunately. It didn't have red spells. And it also didn't have a ledger shredder. So I didn't have any form of pressure or any reaction, which led me to just cantripping for 
you know, other cards and my opponent turn threes me. I had nothing, killed me. So that was, you know, I was not feeling particularly great after getting stomped. And at that point in the tournament, I think the vibe in the room was like, this Amalia deck is serious and we yeah. should have respected it more. And I was very much feeling it there. Um, the second game I'm able to squeeze out again, mana confluence was a big factor hurting his life total. And then in the third one, um, you know, it was, it was a brother, a very important brotherhood's end. I think a misstep with the scavenge news that was very critical. Um, and you know, the, 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 the pressure just was able, like I was able to get to him with pressure, a, a turn away from top decking. Uh, that also was a big deal in my top eight match versus Amalia where I, my opponent, Adam had like five draw steps across the match, at least that if they had been certainly any of the spells and honestly, maybe just any good cards that weren't lands, um, you know, he would have been in a lot better shape. Um, yeah, the, so yeah, the deck just keeps it's hitting so you. It's so resilient. And you're, you're just like possibly dead over and over and over. Yes. It, it, it's just incredible the way that it keeps coming just at you. reaching every draw step, like, please just let me have a turn without <laughs> under stress. Yeah. And it's honestly like back to the like, is Amalia a problem? Like, if it's difficult for a deck like Phoenix that is infinite removal spells, <laughs> including sweepers in the board, like, and that's still a problem. It just gives me Geo vibes because that was the same situation there. Like, yeah, Phoenix was favored, but it wasn't free. Um, I think Amalia is very strong. It wouldn't I, surprise me if yeah. this gets iterated on even more in the coming weeks. Right. And not to mention the, like, 20 power plus with the infinite loops. Like, it's just, that's... that's. There were a lot of four-game matches this yeah. tournament. Yeah, um, just a very oddly templated card, too, but... I mean, it is what it, it's cool. Hard, or more, like right? Better. Twenty or more. <laughs> we didn't have space. We didn't have space. So that puts me in uh, table one, the final round uh, against uh, the uh, undefeated Phoenix player. I think he, he had a couple draws. I think I'm not positive they were intentional or not. And you know, the that's where that match point from that draw in day one was huge. I was able to, uh, you know, take the draw. He was thinking about it. Like he was locked for topic regardless, but was in a situation where he was almost certainly first seed, even with a draw and with a loss, he would have been, you know, definitely not first seed. It's interesting. I kind of wonder like, Hey, maybe we should have played and certainly would have been very unfortunate to lose, but to have be on the play in those matchups, maybe it would help. But Chris, we were talking about this early earlier phoenix is not a deck where like you have to be on the play the main matchup where that's an issue is amalia so take the id pairing you know the standings get announced i immediately see the so the top eight was two blue white control two rakdos two phoenix two amalia love the rakdos matchup really liked the blue white matchup although i had not factored in both the yorion version and daniel's play skill like I, those were not things in my brain at that moment but really liked the top eight there was totally happy to play a mirror. I actually did lose a mirror in day one. I didn't, I didn't mention that, and it wasn't just because I didn't want to talk about a match that I lost. I played against Jackson Hicks. He two owed me. He outplayed me and outdrew me in both games, and uh, <laughs> it wasn't wasn't particularly close. He he was a lot more charitable in it. He was saying like, no, was, but I, he got me really good in that in that match. Um, shout out, really nice dude. Um, so yeah, going into top eight, I see I'm paired against Amalia on the draw. And I start thinking about like prize restructuring. Has anybody thought about it? Like, <laughs> realize, like nope, not with wizards. So I'm like, okay, I kind of like that because it was nice to just not have to have that in my head, you know, mm -hmm. to just say like, okay, play the match. That's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, get stomped game one. And, you know, 
at that point, I'm thinking I qualified for, not only did I qualify for the pro tour, which was my hope, but honestly, it was still a hope. Like I didn't go in thinking like, oh, I'm definitely going to do this. I've tried, you know, as hard as I've tried in, in this game to do it and it worked, which was great. But then to like top eight again was like, whoa, that's, that's exceeded expectations. Um, so it was, you know, the games were great. All the players in the top eight were really cool people, really good to hang out. It's funny, you like become friends and then you become enemies, but you're really friends. Like you're, everybody's generally in these top eights pretty happy with how the weekend has gone. So really good vibes, good games. Adam played really, really well, got stomped game one. And, uh, but game two, you know, found the brotherhood's end. And then game three, we, we moved over to the feature match area. Uh, my opening hand had, I think the first two cards in it were two Brotherhood's Ends, which was just blessed. Two lands, including a red source, and I think like maybe two cantrips and, and the shredder or something like that. First draw step, Spike Field Hazard, which is actually pretty interesting yeah, because he plays too. Yeah, he plays Luminarch Veteran on turn one on the play, and I play a tap spike field hazard, which Chris and I were talking about this when we went over the, the top eight on the stream a That's little a while ago. Clear signal for you. Something's player. up. Something's up if I'm not taking that spike field. Now, to be fair, my whole strategy in the matchup was like, ignore the shitters. They just don't matter. Amalia is the only thing that matters. The thing you do have to think about is, for some reason, Amalia also has ward pay three life. So those, mm -hmm. those one ones actually can chip you down. I know. It's it's. Why? But that, that's a bullion and picklock prankster saver too, right? Uh, yep, hundred percent. And that was part of the calculus. And picklock was doing a lot of blocking in that match. Um, not to also, also to mention, like, you know, if you need the anger, or you need the uh, brotherhood's end or anger on turn three, picklock can get that a lot more better than pieces. Um, so yeah, the, the game three was just a really significant grind. Um, I was happy, really happy with how I played that. I was conservative. I beat like multiple voice of resurgences and the tokens i needed both of the brotherhood's ends and it's still and it was like turn three turn four brotherhood's end and still i was thinking like i'm, I'm at six life i'm almost dead any of these draw steps are good i'm going to be in rough shape but he hit a couple lands at key points and you know that that it just that broke my way i uh was really happy to t i had a i think actually one play that i was really happy with was he was at, I think, 25 or maybe 27 at this point. I have a Shredder that's a three power and a Picklock Prankster. He's got uh, no cards in hand, and uh, but like a stacked graveyard. So a company, certainly a return to the ranks. I'm in rough shape. I end up casting, uh, or I end up activating my Hall of Storm Giants and just getting in for a hit for like, I think 11. Uh, yeah, 11, a Shredder, a Picklock, and then seven, which put my shields down at a pretty key moment, but... There's no way, like, if I just hit for three there or four or whatever, that's, like, two more draw steps, and I cannot yeah. let him hit a spell. So I go for the, you know, this is, I might look like an idiot tapping out and getting comboed immediately, but in, I'm going to take this damage where I can take it. I think it was the right play in the moment. Um, I don't think I'm being overly influenced by the fact that he top-decked the land and it worked really well at that moment. Um, well, that's what you make the play for, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You play for you that. Weren't, you weren't beating Return to the Ranks the next turn, no matter what your play was. So yeah, I'm. I can't remember the exact cards in hand. I'm almost now. If you make that play and like I also had a negate in my hand, like that would be kind of mm -hmm. crazy. I, I don't think I did. I'm, I'm almost certain I didn't. I think I drew the negate the next turn, and then he did like company the next turn. So really important how those cards ordered. Um, 
Yeah, so that was a, a great match to win. Um, you know, throughout the top eight, like again, I, I sort of was thinking like I got what I, I got what more than what I came for. I'm really happy. Opponents are great. These games have been super tight. Happy to win, but would be happy with any result. Um, play against Paul in the top four. He's playing Rakdos Inti. I'm fist pumping when I see the matchup because I think it's really strong. But I think Paul's list was, and I think he worked uh, looked at the uh, System Magic group. Great stream, Greg and Andrew. Great dude, great dudes. And uh, I had not played against that version. And I, I asked him about his Kroxas, and he said it there printed in 2020. And uh, uh, <laughs> they destroyed me in game two. Game one, I was able to get. And then game three was, you know, I, I'll, I'll never, like, I think I've said this before. I don't like to think about my own draws, my opponent's draws. Like, it's not something that can be controlled. Just do not think about it. If I was going to say I'm never going to complain about the top of my deck, I certainly can say it now because end of game three, I bounced a shielded crazy scenario. He plays a bat god, which is like unbeatable, basically unbeatable. I chopped deck the second red removal spell to kill it, and I think I had like one extra point of damage on the table versus he's about to play a shieldred, he's about to recast the bat god, whatever. It would have been game over there, so... Yeah, I uh, was extremely fortunate in, in how the top of my deck treated me. Not to mention the turn before I, you know, considered it a crackling drake. That was my only possible way to get back into that game anyway. So it wasn't even one top deck. It was, you know, three in a row or something. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> um, but whenever and, it's, man, I really need to hit a crackling drake. And then crackling drake also draws you the card that you need from that spot. <laughs> that's, whew, no, nothing else could have done this for me. Here. Yeah. Yeah, Drake, uh, I, I think Corey in, in a tweet afterwards said you should frame those. That, I think he said you should frame that Crackling that Drake. One, which, there's two of them. I don't know. I just frame them both, I guess. But uh, yeah, Crackling Drake, I, I rescind my comments on Picklock Prankster being the most important part of the weekend. It was definitely Crackling Drake. Um, huge. So important in the post games. And like against Rakdos, Amalia, and Blue White, bring it in against all three of them, you know? And it's like your most important card in those matchups, too. So, yeah, Drake was huge. Um, interesting, the other Phoenix pilot did not have any copies of Crackling Drake in the sideboard. That was very surprising to me. Certainly, he did well. He was undefeated in the Swiss, so it, it maybe it's right. But um, I think I'll, if I'm playing more Phoenix, I'll probably be bringing at least two Drakes with me. I like the Drake-Fable split, particularly because of how it lines up against Blue-White. Um, but, but, yeah... Uh, yeah, which, finals. Which we will likely see more of in the format going forward, especially if we expect Amalia to be good. It, it, you know, it's it's easy to look at the data and be like, the deck that performed the best is the deck that we should probably be playing. But I was thinking about it yesterday and thought, yeah, I think Blue White. If I had to play a deck right now for another tournament, I think I would pick Blue White Yorion. I think it's really good against the best decks in the format, and I think all of the Blue White decks did fairly well. And to me, it seems very obvious that Yorion is way better than the other versions i mean a control deck that has an eighth card in hand and the four or five lines up pretty regularly and you know you're incentivized to play four lockdowns because you know you're an 80 card deck like a lot of the cards that this list plays four of are just good anyway so yeah i, I thought daniel's list was good the team that he tested with i saw oliver to tweeted out their results after day one and they were really doing well and one of their their players won the tournament so um yeah Man, back to my old ways of what won last week. I'm going to play that next week. But, uh, <laughs> I, I do think Blue White is in a really solid position. Um, I won't belabor the finals just for maybe my own vanity a little bit because it was not the best uh, 
round that I played that weekend uh, by any means. I think, you know, there was a huge mistake in game two that was just, had, you know, had I had more mental capacity in that moment, I, I think it was some level of fatigue. I think it, as much as I was not trying to have this in my head, and, and to be fair, in the top eight, I was not thinking about the prize money. I was not, I wasn't thinking about the qualification at all because I was like, I already qualified. What are you talking about? Like, I qualified for, I didn't even, I know Worlds is a thing, but like it never entered my brain as like, a thing that you could be called. It might be a thing that I could qualify for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, I was really just focusing on the games. I think I was still focusing on the games in the finals. Um, I mean, the trophy was sitting next to us. I don't know if that had an influence. I, I think I just had, I think I had just run out. I think I had just run out of steam at that point. And it, it's tough because, you know, uh, like I, a big theme for me had, uh, you know, talking to Tannen in the interviews and things like that, like it was preparation. And I definitely prepared in terms of being ready for the format, being, having all the cards, like a lot of the, but hey, I could be in better shape. I could have drank more water. Um, I could have not eaten a candy bar. I had a candy bar right before the the, the final match because I was like, I'm going to be against blue white and I haven't eaten since 8.30 a.m. or whatever. I need to like get some something in my stomach. Maybe that was bad. I was, I was physically less hungry in that moment and I wonder if that affected my mental game at all. I don't know. I don't want to say that oh i was just exhausted i was just fatigued and like i'd like to excuse poor play from that perspective but physical endurance is a part of the game and so as i think about you know a, a season of pro play ahead in 2024 which i i literally just got chills saying that <laughs> because i've wanted to just like prove to myself that i can do that you know whatever and yeah i got insanely lucky there were so many games that i punted and didn't get punished you know it's not even like, oh, I just got unlucky here or I got lucky here. It's like, no, that Rakdos match where I just threw away that Crackling Drake, that was, I was 98% to lose that match from that point or something. From Going from a situation where I was 95% to win probably or something. So huge swings. But to have a season of pro play ahead, 100% I'm going to be putting the work in for the tournaments because I've just found that this year that that has been the difference in my own life and preparation and prioritization and things like that. And I'm not telling people, oh yeah, drop everything and play five leagues a day and like magic. You have to balance it with everything else that's in your life. But, you know, I feel like I've got an opportunity with this season ahead. I feel like just where I am in life, we're, we're, we're moving to Roanoke, which this was entirely uh, my wife's career is the, is the main reason we're moving. That's such uh, an odd but, coincidence. I know. Like, what... <laughs> How do you end up in Roanoke except like like from my point of view, how do you end up in Roanoke except to like do magic stuff? I mean other people live in Roanoke. Other people do I live guess. in Roanoke. <laughs> no, and I right. Like I have a friend who ended up in Roanoke because his wife was working at the hospital and that's you know and I was like, Oh yeah, I guess this is a place that people go to not just play magic. It's that, not that like is, you start at the Valley Forge Casino in Azoria and you think to yourself, where else can I live? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the nexus of all magic. Uh, I saw Carmen tweeted, uh, most famous sports yeah, venue. That That's, like, <laughs> That's hilarious. Shout out to Carmen also. She's just been crushing it. Uh, we, we Long, long time ago, we played a States and uh, I try, I was playing Solar Flare. I was I, I, I was basically tried to block for one of my, I was locked for top eight and I was like oh let's play one of my buddies is like X and two with bad breakers that there was no chance they were 
them. And they lost their match also. But I was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to block. So it was like the first result, first top eight I had, I think, of any style tournament. Play against Carmen. Beats the pants out of me. <laughs> and then I think number one seed versus eight play again. Beats me again. So karma uh, in that in that in that moment. But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So finals, you know, would love to to be able to play that match again, uh, fresh. But you know, Daniel, incredible competitor. He, I don't think was feeling it to the same. If he was, I certainly didn't see it. And um, you know, we talked about it. I think people we we, we say like, yeah, control decks are hard to play. It's really, really hard to play against as well. Um, I'm not excusing the many mistakes I made in that match, but you know, to, to, to get to the place that I did was just unreal. And I'm so thankful and I'm really looking forward to trying to maximize. It's like the door has opened a little bit. And for many players that have put in more work, are better players, more shots, whatever, that door hasn't opened for them in the same way that it has for me. So I really want to take advantage of that. And then back to the endurance thing, I I talked about being fit from a a magic perspective, like ready for the tournament. For me, I'm looking at like physical fitness. Like I I need to be able to, I don't want to get knock on, you know, hopefully I'm in the pro pro tour final someday. And if that's the case, I don't want to be like, Oh, I just, I was too tired and couldn't play well enough. You know, that's just to lose it on things that are not just raw magic skill, even though it's completely no way to quantify that. You just want to make sure everything in the same way, like, Hey, it's a good idea to bring your cards to the tournament site. It's a good idea to make sure that, yeah, if this day one goes 11, 12, 13 hours that, that you can hang and certainly doing it a lot for years, et cetera, can be part of that. But, um, you just don't want to leave any value on the table. You want to just try and if, if you want the results, and that's not even healthy. Like, I, I don't even, we'll see where I am nine months from now and reflecting back. Like, hopefully it's positive and all good and, and I can feel good about my decisions going into this and kind of focusing a little bit more on professional and, play. And hopefully we have you back on here for, for some one reason or another. Yeah. Oh, any time. Believe me. I, I, one of the things I was most excited about was, uh, hey, look, I, <laughs> again, I, I listen to you guys all the time. So to, to be able to join you in the conversations, you guys to be being so welcoming, you know, because, a week or two ago, yeah, Chris, we ran into each other at tournaments and things like that. But like, you know, I was one of many, many, many players. And I, of course, I still am. And even when you look at the tournament overall, there were 1,300 players. I wasn't even one. But two is <laughs> is still pretty good. And, to, you know, you walk out with hardware. You walk out with the qualification. It, it is funny that, and, and it's just like, often just like very small twists of fate and variance like make make the difference and right like you're not a different person or a different magic player than you were friday before the event yeah but now you you have you know something to 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 show what you worked for and it's you're in a different place now both qualified and also just like now you know you want to find some people to to prep with and you have this like thing to point to and that like may open some doors and yeah it's funny how the those like a couple little things can just like make a big difference there and, and and completely change the situation that you're in but i you know i don't think anybody would begrudge you that you did the work and you're in a great spot and i'm really really looking forward to you know watching how you do in in this pro season and and i i can't wait 
And I'm, I, I'm, I'm very excited for you. I really appreciate it. I, I, I hope you keep doing your work so I can keep riding on the coattails. You know what I mean? Like standing on your shoulders. And, well, uh, eventually it'll reverse. Yes. Well, we'll you know we'll 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 see. I think. No, I uh, like the yes. I like the yes. Let's keep that energy. The the, the <laughs> thought was I don't know that I could do. You know, for me again, it was like, can I do the work? Like I I committed to myself, I will do the work. But I honestly was still questioning, like, do I have the discipline? Do I have the work ethic? Whatever. And Chris, like, again, you published the journal and you're streaming. Like, you are doing the work. So in my comment of like, we'll see if it switches. It's I don't know that I'll be able to do the work to have the platform for you to run. I mean, I, I'll try. And certainly any any anything that I can give back, I'm more than happy to. Like everybody that does this does it for passion. I can't tell you how many car rides I've been on listening to you guys, you know, and to now be, you know, more embedded into the scene a little bit, to have my, just a little bit more confidence myself in it and to, to be able to now give you know, it's like it's it's, it's like a, a sort of responsibility. I feel like um, that you know, I had things go really, really well for me. What can I do to both main, continue that success for myself, but then also contribute to a community and a game that has been such a huge part of my life for so long? And it's the thing that you know, what did I want to do Monday after the tournament? Play more Magic, like get, just get a little Cuban in, get a little cube, Alpha Frog, nice cube, loved it. That a really sweet lands deck. No dark depths. Where's the dark depths? Couldn't find one, but still was good. <laughs> yeah, I just want to quickly add on just a little bit about my weekend. Highlight was absolutely that several of my opponents mentioned like, oh, are you CCR? Or like, I listened to the podcast or, or I've watched the streams like leading up to this because, you know, I was preparing for this tournament specifically playing this format. And so I think a lot of people kind of like stumbled on it and watched at least a little. And uh, it like, please, anybody who sees me at a tournament, please continue to come up and just say hi. Like it absolutely makes my day. It was just really, really wonderful meeting people, uh, including my. I, I am. So, yeah, sorry. I, I am also at fewer tournaments, big tournaments nowadays, but I also love that because when I was at the like Durham convention you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I was doing commentary for that one. People kept coming up to me and talking to me and that, that was also great. <laughs> yeah, you don't because of the way that our like content form is, you know, we record a podcast and we put it on the Internet and people listen to us on their phones and there's not really like a back and forth interaction sort of thing. So it's kind of invisible to us that people actually are listening. You know, we see numbers, but numbers don't do anything. And so getting that getting any sort of connection then is, is so meaningful. I've also had the following interaction i drive a lot for well i don't drive i ride i passage a lot for <laughs> our cqs because I, I just i just love playing magic tournaments right uh and i've had this following conversation many times i'll sit in front of a phone we'll start playing and i'll be like you sound familiar and i've been to a million magic tournaments remember so i don't know if they just have seen me elsewhere or what i don't want to pretend i'm like a big hot shot with a podcast or whatever <laughs> so i'm just like yeah I've, I've just been playing a lot of magic for like years and years and years you've probably seen me around and at some point during the match or maybe after it they'll be like wait you have a podcast don't you <laughs> <laughs> your voice sounds so familiar yeah I talk a lot more on the podcast than I do 
during a match of magic. <laughs> yes, that's true. You just want to keep them guessing. That's it. Keeping it close to the Well, best. there's more to say when your goal of your podcast is to talk a bunch and less to say <laughs> when the goal of a game of magic is to try to win. <laughs> right, right. Priorities. And I, I do need to specifically call out... I can't remember if it was my round three opponent and I was one and one or my round four opponent. I was one and two. Anyways, I wasn't feeling like fantastic. I was already like my my, my round one. I played against Rakdos, a, a deck that I feel very comfortable playing against. And then I look at my opponent's list, which has uh, two Reckoner Bank Busters and one Torch the Tower main deck. And he goes turn two Reckoner Bank Buster, turn three Torch the Tower, your Phoenix. And I was like, oh, Oh goodness! And then game two played all four graveyard trespassers, which was not <laughs> not remotely beatable. And and so like my tournament started off a little bit rough, and then I uh, get paired up against an opponent who like who who recognize who who's a listener to the podcast and says, but you know I gotta hold your uh the the hate you have for my deck against you a little bit and i was like oh no what are you playing um Please and, not and then he hands me his list and it is angels which I, oh, you know, no. which we have we have called out multiple times uh on the podcast he played it God, very well he would have been so angry at me because i yeah you know, we, were, more <laughs> we were rough on it but and... he would have been less happy because there's a chance i was just playing would play a combo deck <laughs> right and then the problem is that i'm playing is it phoenix which is not very good against angels was... game one i just run out of damage completely i have like two cards left in my deck he has a a, a four four resplendent angel i have no lightning axes i have no way of keeping that from like just blocking forever uh so i just I scoop up game one you know game two i just have a really i take out all my phoenixes because that card doesn't do anything in the matchup and we just have to be a control deck with crackling drakes and i i pick up game two game three i trade three crackling drakes for three of uh the two four um righteous the, valkyrie? yeah righteous valkyrie i i just the only way for me to kill them because he has at above 27 is to trade crackling drakes for every one of them. I have no way to kill him except for Hall of Storm Giants. And for the last four turns of the game, I'm activating Hall of Storm Giants and attacking with two, two, two Skyclave apparition tokens and holding up negate in case he draws Kaya's or collected company. And I just barely don't get there in turns. And he was gracious enough to scoop. And I, I'd certainly appreciate that, wow. but it was a, a great match and, uh, I, you know, was, was the beginning of the climb back into, you know, actually doing well in day one. So that, that was a fun match and an important one for, for my tournament and would have been an important turning point if I had managed to execute on day two as well. Do you think uh, Angels or Strings is a worse matchup for Phoenix? I've played more against Lotus Field and gotten bodied m m like more times, so my trauma is deeper from yeah. Lotus Field. But Angels just... There's a, a reasonable number of games against Angels where you have... You draw enough Lightning Axes that... Because only only one of their cards matters which is yeah. right just which is the valkyrie and if they don't get above 20 
if they don't get to 27 life or they don't have enough Valkyries to to keep their team pumped, then their cards don't do that much. But yeah, there's a lot of times where it's just like, yeah, there's a six toughness Valkyrie and I can't do anything about any creature on this board. So it, yeah. it's pretty bad. From yeah. from my only playing games or sorry, only watching games perspective of this like matchup dynamic, I would say Angels is a little worse in lotus field because lotus field can stumble a lot easier than angels can like mm-hmm. you can just like get two phoenixes really early and then they whiff on their lotus field like as soon as they can and then you can crush them right because they're if you hold open counter spell they can't play around all that much mm-hmm. angels doesn't have the same kind of fail possibility mm-hmm. even though you know if you're in a room full of lotus field and angels players you're <laughs> probably just gonna head home that would be easier <laughs> yeah I was going to say, I think they're both worse somehow uh, for different reasons. I Obviously, I, th- I think Lotus is probably a little bit of a stronger deck just against everything else. Didn't have a great weekend uh, overall. I mean, I don't think Angels was a particularly strong uh, deck for the weekend either. But um, yeah, I, I think that the for just there's a higher fail rate on Lotus. So I, I could totally see it being uh, a little bit easier. But my main reason on asking on those two decks, I mean, looking at the run from this weekend no nightmare parents not not one that's that's important i mean that that yeah. no amount of preparation now to be fair i picked a deck whatever but like there were a plenty of lotus players there were a few angels players chris you ran into one Levi got that ran strategic into draw too <laughs> yeah this, yeah this strategic draw that was uh, uh you know everything kind of happened had to happen in the order that it happened for any form of reality to happen you know it's it's like infinite other possibilities but this is how it happened in in this universe so so yeah tough tough tournament for some reason in in a lot of ways and physically kind of taxing but it it was a very fun weekend and i i believe that we uh have used all of our time talking about magic and what we enjoyed and no time on discourse and i think that's okay that, that's optimal actually discourse is for when i'm bored at work not really for podcasting yeah unless the you know the week is slow then you gotta throw some in there yeah <laughs> um mark thank you so much for coming on this has been a delight uh really enjoyed this and uh ideally you know we'll have uh, some good reasons to get you on in the future yeah i really uh, really enjoyed this episode i hope everyone else does as well I, the the thanks is really to you guys. I mean, you have the platform. You invited me in. I really appreciate it. Again, I've been a benefactor of it, and to be able to contribute is huge. Um, a lot of thanks again, my friends, for really joining me in those Magic Online streets. That really helped make make it a lot more. I I, I did put in the work, but like having people at the, my side to make it not feel like work that that was huge. My opponents were all awesome to everybody that's like reached out on Twitter and Facebook and people that I haven't talked to in years, seen in years, all reach. I mean, it really is like the dream, you know, and to be living it again, it still, still doesn't feel real. Um, maybe it will more if I can, I can give back more beyond podcast, things like this, always happy to join. Like I said, I hope I'll have some reasons you get, you guys said that too. Um, thank you for hosting me and, uh, would love to be back and hopefully I'll give a reason to. Excellent. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. Have a great week. Bye, everybody.